0: They got it. They got to stop charging. Whatever is wrong with that organization, they need to fix it because you cannot ruin Justin Herbert's career like this.
1: Yes, but but they can ruin his career like this. They ruined <laughs> Philip Rivers' career and LT's career, and they've they've wasted. Like Justin Herbert's a great talent, but they've wasted plenty of great talents over the last twenty years. It's just the Charger way.
2: So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for views, views and overreactions to all things NFL. We've just thrown four interceptions, you know what that means, we've got you right where we want you. So hey, we got Connor here, we've got Sean.
1: Hello.
2: And we've got Ronan. Hello. How are we getting on lads? Uh, are we happy now to be into the, uh, it, the business end of the season?
0: Yeah, it's all gotten very seriously all, all of a sudden and... Uh... Teams are the frauds are being found out with an alarming rate. It's uh, yeah, it's very yeah. time. <laughs> uh, definitely, definitely some. Um, the games were definitely more competitive than I thought. Some of the games, like Miami Buffalo, I thought would be a blowout, and yeah, yeah. Um, Seahawks Niners. But both of them were well. Seahawks Niners. The second half was, but the first half was pretty close. But uh, yeah, so it's been. Mm. We'll get into them, but yeah, it's, it was it was. Certain things, certain things we talked about. Teams confirmed, and other things questioned. So it's uh, yeah, definitely shut up or put up or shut up time.
2: Yeah, it was. I think I think this is kind of a, a mixed result for the advocates of the seven seeds. We'll say um, <laughs> yeah, the so kind of one one good, one bad in that record. Uh, what about yourself? Any any cracked in Cork? Uh,
0: not much. As I was saying before, we went on air. Uh, took Molly the dog to. Get neutered, which means she's in the cone of shame for nine days, which means we can't take her to the... Apparently dogs bully other dogs in cones or something. Like <laughs> it's, it's stuff you learn when you get a dog. 5G signal, they're like, they're, they're, they're conspiracy theorists, <laughs> <leaders>, you know? <laughs> uh, so we can't take her to the park because there are too many dogs there, so trying to find ways to walk her when she wants to go to the park has been a fun activity for the last You
2: have a treadmill day. upstairs, don't you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, she's an explorer kind of dog. She likes to go sniffing things. So, mm. yeah. How fair many enough. loops of how many loops of the housing estate can I do? Has become the the activity of the last few days.
2: Ah, fair enough, fair enough. So, not the most fun for Molly at the moment. Then, fair enough. How about yourself? Fits any crack?
1: No, not quite enough. Tipping away at work. Uh, managed to see Avatar. Just got back there. You know, like it was. Uh, it's a tough old slog. Yeah, Sixteen but, hours.
2: You? Jesus, you'd think Cameron would cut it down, but.
1: Yeah, two days is quite a long time for a film, but you know, Cameron, you know, it's two billion dollars—how can you compete with that? But uh, I uh, can't well, wait for the
0: director's cut. <laughs> oh,
1: gosh, <laughs> uh, it's a—it's—it's—it's it's, it's very much like a roller coaster type film, like, you know. It's interesting while you're there and then afterwards you completely forget about it but uh other yeah. than that pretty quiet just tipping away and uh yeah i suppose we're uh, one week closer to the Sean Stags. that's the real action this january
2: yeah it's gonna be gonna be some fun and uh don't worry for all you uh for, for all you uh, subscribed listeners uh we will be posting the address and you can come and join us <laughs> uh <laughs> but the uh yeah i heard the avatar one is like they've kept sigourney weaver in it by basically saying her like it's like her fake avatar body got pregnant by their god or something.
1: Something like that, yeah. I, I yeah. don't really follow why she had a daughter, but uh, that's basically it. <laughs> yeah.
2: Fair enough. It like, sounds really they, well thought. It's just the lore is very rich.
1: Well, like like that's actually not a huge part of the film. That seems to be more sequel bait. Like the actual film mostly involves them bringing the bad guys from the last film back as avatars. Okay. That was like their contingency plan. Okay. So just bring the same just bring the same actors back basically, but uh, they're avatars and bad.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm not I'm not sure if he's going to make you know the, the the old classic mistake here of, you know, building a, you know, an allegory to maybe treatment of of colonies and stuff and then, you know, I've never I've never seen a white guy get it wrong when he starts to introduce bad colony people. Like, yeah, that's that's yeah. definitely not risky fucking ground he's about to step into here.
1: Yeah, look, it's James Cameron, like the the, the uh, allegories, uh, light sprinkling on top of the action, which is what you come for for a James Cameron film.
2: Yeah. Mm. yeah, I hope there was like two and a half hours of action in that eight hour runtime. <laughs>
1: yeah
2: <laughs> uh fair enough yeah i, I didn't happen to, to to catch that one now um i watched a couple of films but uh i was more catching up on ones that I came out a while back yeah a fairly fairly relaxed one of late it's been nice the car is banjacked so i just came back from dropping it into the garage so fingers crossed it's working otherwise no one's getting to Sean stack so uh that'll be that'll be fun or at least some of us will get there but we'll just have no booze so uh <laughs> it'll be, <a> very... <laughs> it'll
0: almost be worse.
2: It's true, it's true. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's been nice and chilled. We're kind of getting ourselves ready and, 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 and prepared for the upcoming playoff adventures and the the fact that we'll have the Eagles and the, the Chiefs joining us. Uh, fun side note, actually. Uh, Arrowheads Abroad, the, the Chiefs International Fan Group, have decided to host their Super Bowl watch party in Dublin because they found that it was as easy for the members over in the UK to get to Dublin as it was for them to get to London with all the train strikes. <laughs> <laughs> which I love as a rationale. But I think they're going to be going to the same pub as we are. So it uh, should be good fun, particularly if the Chiefs are going to get there. But, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yes, there's a couple of tough games before we even have a chance at that. Uh, so let's look at some of the news from around the league. Obviously, Last week was, you know, uh, black Monday or whatever. We tend to see some firings. We've had a lot more movement as well. So we'll talk about some of the coaching carousel moves, head coach and general management changes. Arizona have hired Tennessee vice president of player personnel, Monty He has a number of years experience with new England and Tennessee, and he's quite a strong reputation for scouting. And, uh, the other kind of bit of GM head coach news is probably there was rumors abound about Jim Harbaugh and where he might go and who might have pockets deep enough to keep him. He's confirmed that he's going to stay with Michigan. He's not uh, changing job this off season. So, you know, all of the ones who had that on their list just strike him right off the top. He's he's not coming in there yet. Um, like there's not a ton to talk about this Arizona hire. Like they're doing quite a substantial rebuild. This seems like probably a good person to bring in. Like. Like I said, if he's meant to be good at scouting, that's what you need, particularly in the start of a reboot where, like we said, there's not a lot of players that you'd imagine are in the long term plans for Arizona. Barring, obviously, you know, the question mark of Kyler Murray off the injury.
1: Yeah, I think it's only big significance is that Arizona has traditionally been a bit of a closed shop under Bidwell. Uh, So Steve Keim had been with that organization for over 20 years. Um, in between being a GM and just a guy who was in the organization. So to bring someone who has basically no relationship with the owner, that kind of signals to me that the, like the owner believes that they need a, a more thorough clean out of the organization and maybe a more hardline approach. And certainly Ossun Fort's comments have already been picked up from his first press conference where he said that ego will not be tolerated in this organization. And, you know, one could point at any number of players for that, but one might point that the shortest player, Um, on the field perhaps has been the uh, pointed uh, subject of that comment so obviously coming from New England and then Tennessee two organizations that had a very business-like approach to you know the scouting and just in terms of team building in general this definitely feels like maybe uh, you know trying to take maybe a harsher approach going forward we'll see if that actually beds in or not Uh, but uh, yeah an interesting change for a team that's traditionally been quite uh, on the more uh, boring side I would say in terms of uh, the front office yeah and
0: it's, uh, it's, it's worth noting uh, that there are rumors I've, I've heard of Brian Flores being potentially interviewed and apparently Austin Furt and Flores have a good working relationship so that could be a clue as to where the Cardinals are thinking of going
2: hmm, that'll be interesting yeah. uh, Flores is currently on the Steelers staff isn't he
0: yeah I think he is
2: yeah it's like uh, advisor or something uh fair enough fair enough very good uh there's a couple of other changes so cleveland have hired tennessee senior defensive assistant jim schwartz as dc uh probably best known for doing he was the philadelphia defensive coordinator when they won the super bowl right
1: yeah that, that is thankfully what people remember from now he was obviously head coach of the detroit lions during yeah. a really poor period of their time but yeah a kind of aggressive coach two, two, two someone... and
2: 14 i believe as their as their coach if i remember yeah correctly.
1: but As we said, thankfully, uh, he's had something more successful since then. Quite an aggressive coach, uh, I think known for a bit of blitzing and stuff like that. Um, I think, obviously, the Cleveland defense is interesting. There's obviously some really huge talents there. Obviously, Mal Garrett is, is a top three defensive edge rusher. Uh, You know, Denzel Ward's a a pretty good cornerback. Otsu Koromoa has looked like a solid linebacker, although he's been more injured this year. So there are pieces on that defense, but there's a lot of gaps to fill, I feel like, and some of the free agent pickups that they've made in recent years, like John Johnson, haven't really worked out. So it'll be interesting to see what direction they go, but obviously a a hugely... um, Experience higher, and I expect someone who should be an improvement over the uh, the previous.
2: Yeah, well, their their defense really fell off this year from where we were expecting them to be. Um, we'll have a little fly through a few of the other moves now. So, uh, the Chargers have fired offense coordinator Joe Lombardi and quarterbacks coach Shane Day. This somewhat might suggest that their head coach is going to have another year, um, because you know they've announced this and not him being fired. So, uh, I think. Yeah. Yeah, like, they did need to change up the offense, but I would be be getting a country mile away from their current head coaching situation if I was them. But maybe they know something about the available coaches that they would have their eyes on or something like that.
1: Yeah, like, look, like, obviously, if they're firing these uh, assistants, then that means the head coach is probably staying in situ. Like, and obviously, Justin Herbert and other members of the team have come out in favor of Brandon Staley, the head coach. So... You know, it's not impossible that he we gets fired anyway. We just anyways. love losing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's not impossible that they that they fire Staley anyway, but this is not the type of move that typically happens for that. But yeah, you know, the NFL is a like weird a place. It feels like a
0: sacrifice. It feels like this is your last chance. Make some sacrifices and one more year, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah
1: I, I don't think it's much of a sacrifice. Obviously, with Justin Herbert, a guy like that, putting him into such a state. Offense isn't great, and I think you know, certainly they could do with having some reinforcements in terms of explosiveness on that offense as well. But, uh, yeah, like Staley's probably lucky enough to be the able to give sacrifices instead of sacrificing himself.
2: Yeah, uh, Jets and offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur have mutually parted ways. Um, there was some talk about LaFleur having some interests elsewhere that he was being allowed to pursue. There's question marks over that given New York Jets offence how they looked at the tail end of the season. But also, you know, they did lose a lot of pieces. Um but yeah, I I imagine he'll probably get some luck in somewhere, but I I wouldn't imagine that there's a monster market for him.
0: I I would say the jury's still out on LaFleur to a certain extent because of those injuries. I mean obviously the, yeah the loss of Brees Hall and the fact that Zach Wilson turned out to not be a good quarterback is I mean potentially the Jets could have been better even despite that on the offensive side but it, I mean there are two there are a few big asterisks around that so I wouldn't be surprised if he gets another look in but it it may be a not quite last chance to loon, but definitely his career is going to go in only one direction unless his, his next job, the offense, turns yeah. out to be a lot better than the Jets. He
2: needs the need, next one to be a, a, a success, particularly if he wants to push up beyond offensive coordinator. Um, more offensive coordinator news, Tampa Bay have fired Byron Leftwich. Um, like, I suppose, but there's also like, there's just the, the fact that Brady doesn't look himself anymore as well. Now, it wasn't exactly you know, brilliant scheming or anything, but I do think that some of this came down to some limitations in Tom Brady too.
0: The team's yeah, at the end of its cycle, basically, is yeah. the, is the yeah. thing and, and yeah. Brady's a part of that, but the other offensive piece is Evans and Godwin and a lot of drop passes and just players not playing well, so yeah.
1: Mm. Now it, it's not necessarily also a good look when, you know, a year ago you were a head coach candidate. I think you nearly got the Jacksonville job, but he chose to step away because of the Trent balky situation. Obviously, worked out for Jacksonville in the end, thankfully yeah. for them. Uh, but you know, I think for Tampa Bay, yeah, like this was obviously a really bad season for the offense. And yeah, I think it, it's tough for Byron Leftwich how it's worked out. But I suppose without the safety wheels of having Arians there to maybe hold Tom Brady in, in touch and kind of stop him from going completely off the reservation you know, things were just a little bit more sloppy. And, and for offense baser around Tom Brady, it has to be perfect to really make sense. Yeah, and the run game
2: particularly fell off towards the back end as well. It just wasn't a huge amount working. Washington also get rid of their offensive coordinator, Scott Turner. This is, like I suppose there was times where the offense wasn't really doing much. But there's also, like, there's elements where, like, the head coach stepped in and decided he was going to swap back to Carson Wentz for no good reason. Like, there was a lot of fiddling here. I don't know whether or not... I don't know if this is a fair enough thing to blame it all on Scott Turner, not that I'm saying he's great or anything, but I do, I do think there was a lot of meddling from higher up in the organisation that went into some of the decisions that I thought were pretty poor. But I thought I thought there was a period, particularly in the middle of the season, where they were getting
1: a surprising amount out of uh, Tyler Heineke in that. Yeah, this is one of those ones which seemed to get a very mixed reaction. I think fans of... Uh, the of, of the commanders generally were happy enough with this move but i suppose when you've had a bad season fans tend to be like that i think the only interesting nugget to come from this is that apparently they are uh, while they've been interviewing other potential oc candidates that they've been saying that they should be planning for sam Howell to be their starting quarterback so obviously uh, you, you know he had a pretty successful week 18 against to be honest, a pretty vanilla Dallas defense because they were already in the playoffs, but mm. you know, interesting nugget there. But Scott Turner, yeah, like obviously hasn't had the best luck in terms of his personnel, particularly at the quarterback position, Um, so it might be a little bit unfair, but you know, the NFL is unfair.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And uh, the Rams offensive coordinator, Liam Cohen, is left, uh, but he's taking a job as a Kentucky offensive coordinator. Uh, this did just, uh, as a side happen before uh, McVeigh said that he was going to stay on for another year with the Rams, so it isn't anything to do with um like he was promised to step up and he didn't get it or whatever kind of thing um, Yeah, like it is I'm interesting sure he... that that even with mcveigh staying there's a surprisingly large amount of turnover in this rams staff
1: yeah like look i think obviously liam cohen probably took the job because like well if i do one year here i'll have a head coaching job somewhere so that didn't work out because of the the year the rams had but yeah. uh yeah like look i think when a head coach says that uh you know they are considering their future then obviously lots of people are going to move on that's just the reality of being a coach like it's a tough it's a tough life and you can't afford to be uh precious about it so look i think mcveigh will have a lot of work to do to kind of rebuild the staff again given mm. he's lost so many people in previous years albeit for different reasons due to success so uh you know if not ideal but McVeigh's shown a good talent for finding talent so i'm sure he'll survive
2: yeah, no, that seems fair enough. Um, we'll move on, have a look at some injuries. So just in terms of teams that are still in the playoffs, Cincinnati have some more woes on the offensive line. Offensive tackle Jonah Williams has injured his knee and he's weak to week. And offensive lineman Alex Kappa is still uncertain after missing the wildcard game. And New York Giants Ed Rutter, Aziz uh, Olinjari, has injured his quad and he is now day-to-day the only one that we'll really mention is just tampa bay wide receiver russell gage got a neck injury and he's been hospitalized on that we're waiting for further details uh so obviously look cincinnati they had a problem previously with the line the line's been much better this year they've been doing some interesting gap stuff to try and maximize what they're getting in the line blocking but that's now three linemen that they're potentially down going into the next game and that's you know, that's still a weakness for them at the moment. And they've had, they've now lost probably another person to it. So, like, do we think they they have been better at identifying stuff and getting, getting, you know, protection set up, but their run game kind of disappeared last week a bit. And we'll get into that when we get into the game reviews. But, like, if your line is banged up and it means your run game doesn't get going, it means a lot more heat coming at Joe Barrow. And that's not, like, like, that's been a problem for them when that's happened in games.
1: Yeah, like like the only good news is that Joe Burrow is used to having a terrible offensive line. It's true, <laughs> and and they have made the Super Bowl with a terrible offensive line. And obviously, you know the people who are coming into the starting starting lineup now are guys who were probably starting last year, so you you know who who they are at least. Uh, but yeah, like this was an offensive line that I like didn't have a great start to the season, but was definitely gelling around mid season. But you lose Lael Collins for the season, uh, like I think in week ten or eleven. Uh, you then lose Alex Kappa just coming into the playoffs in week 18. Now Jonah Williams could very likely miss this game uh, up forward, and Alex Kappa could miss the game as well after missing the wildcard round. So, yeah, uh, not ideal. Let's just say that. But I think Joe Burrow has shown enough that I don't think that I don't think this means the offense will collapse completely. But yeah. when you're going up against the, the big guns like Buffalo and Kansas City, you know those kind of margins could be and the Jets making or not. say and the Jags yeah sure uh, like, uh, you know, like you I, say that that's what the Chargers said yeah but that's the Chargers like. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah we, we hope the best for Russell Gage it's a little bit too early to know if how serious it is but thankfully most of these situations end up resolving and being okay and obviously given Tapavay eliminated uh, he'll have as much time to recover as he needs hopefully
2: yeah, uh, and on uh, Ojalary, uh he has been involved in Tuesday's walkthrough and stuff like that, so that's a positive sign for him, but uh, obviously, look, they want to have everyone there, given the matchup they've got, they kind of want to make sure they can get every ounce of pressure that they can, because, well, we'll talk about it in the previews, but particularly if we have either a banged-up quarterback or a backup quarterback, that's where... New York Giants might be able to find their edge is their edge so hopefully hopefully he's back up and running for it um I suppose we go and have a look at the w- super wildcard weekend games okay so first up we have Seattle at San Francisco 23 to 41 looks like a very one-sided game but actually this was incredibly close for the first half and actually had the Seahawks ahead at one point San Francisco ran away late uh, after a very close half like I said they were down by one point Gino had a decent game for the first three quarters I would say I think fits like 235 yards two touchdowns then an interception and a fumble it was a very bad fumble in the red zone that really started the routing of them towards the back end and San Francisco then just kind of started to get moving San Francisco touchdown their defense has started to really dominate I don't know like I don't know if it's just an adjustment thing or what but like they were able to it almost felt like proper momentum of like the series just before the half was real momentum building for the Seahawks and then that fumble they just kind of lost the run of themselves a bit Purdy looked surprisingly good here 332 yards and three touchdowns I say surprisingly good his results are surprisingly good he actually doesn't look that good as a quarterback he looks poised he looks smart he looks like he makes terrible throws sometimes and he's not as good at decision making as you would think otherwise and that might show up once he comes up against some tougher defenses um like there was a couple of ones that have been like have been on 49ers twitter and stuff going isn't this an incredible throw look at brock party and they're showing terrible throws they're showing him throwing into coverage and getting very lucky like not 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 smart decisions um But this is the thing, he didn't have to do incredible jobs because you can score 70 yard touchdowns by passing at 15 yards and letting Debo Samuel do the next 55 for you. Um, Seattle's defense didn't do a wild pile in this. Christian McCaffrey proving he was worth every penny in that trade, uh, 136 yards and a touchdown. Like I said, Debo—hundred 165 yards and a touchdown. This was a game where San Francisco were the better team and Seattle really gritted it out for the first half but then it just started to show the difference in talent level and then I think that little bit of belief that they had coming into the second half ebbed away and then San Francisco just put the throttle down
1: yeah like like the biggest conclusion for me is these two teams are just a completely different stages of their development like even when San Francisco weren't playing well in the first half they still were getting plenty of production and they just were pretty inefficient in the red zone mostly like Purdy. He just didn't seem to be reading the field properly when when the chips were down, but he was still able to make a lot of big plays and CMC was ripping off a big run or two as well. So they were moving the ball in the first half. They just weren't converting that into the types of points that that dominance would have implied. And Seattle, to be fair to them, against a tough defence, uh, Gino was able to get some production against them, um, despite the fact that the run game was mostly been held to check. Um and like, it's just one of those games where I'm like I'm not too disappointed as a Seattle fan because just San Francisco are a better team. They just have so much going on right now that it's, it's difficult to see the right for success that Seattle had. And yeah, for one half, it looked like oh, maybe Pete Carroll's going to pull this out again and they're going to cheeky fight uh, the way through this entire game but in the second half you just saw that turn like San Francisco come out and score a pretty long uh, touchdown drive and then just when you think Seattle might be getting back into it and keep making this into a you know back and forth game and thankfully we had plenty of those, other those uh, throughout the rest of the weekend um, you have that big fumble from Gino now Gino in that situation it was tough they just got a uh, a penalty uh for uh, the offensive lineman moving me on the line of scrimmage basically and that had put him into you know second and long I believe and Nick Bosa got a knock on him and he fumbled the ball and you know that that just turned the tide because San Francisco then turned it scored a touchdown off that subsequent drive but they, they that's not trivial because that was a, obviously it was a long drive but you know those two touchdown drives San Francisco got onto the driving seat. Gino throws another pick, you know, in comeback mode, and then the game is basically over. And, you know, San Francisco throw the cherry on top when they get that big um, Debo Samuel touchdown where he just, you know, gets all the yards after catching the world as Seattle's defense just bumbles around. And look, I think that the the, the the weakest unit by far in this game was the Seattle defense. They couldn't tackle for anything. The uh, the injuries at the linebacker position were particularly noticeable as Cody Barton, kind of who's the default leader of the linebackers, was missing tackle left, right and centre they weren't getting any pressure from the defensive line and there was a number of um, important plays and touchdowns for San Francisco where Purdy was just having ages in the pocket and then um, he just kind of slipped through move into the pocket get a you know a, a short pass to someone like Elijah Mitchell or CMC and they'd get a touchdown or, or a big game for them so it just tried like Seattle's defence just wasn't doing enough to really make this a close game um, once the tide turned and the, I think you know overall San Francisco were just more talented and better, and outside of the inefficiency to get home in the first half, this was probably a fair enough reflection of the relative quality of these two teams. So, look for Seattle. They obviously got like a lot of draft capital to improve the defense going forward, um, and lots to look forward to. Obviously, albeit the speculation over Geno's contract, probably not one of those things I'm looking forward to. But overall, it's a much younger team. Obviously, in a major transition point, where San Francisco are are reaching the peak of their power, it kind of feels like, and with all the weapons that they have on offense and all the you know talent they have on defense they they certainly look like probably you know if not the favorite certainly the second favorite in the NFC right now
0: yeah, just sometimes one team is just a lot better than the other team, and it may take a while to come out, but ultimately that class does show. I mean, you, go, I, I, mean, you do got to give credit to Seahawks. This was supposed to be a disaster season for them. They, they were, you know, tipped to be the worst team in the league, and they've come out as, as a, you know, a pretty good playoff team that pushed a really good team, um, for, for two quarters. Um, they're building something interesting. It's all, it, you know, the stuff coming together. They just got to. You know, make sure they hold on to and build around key pieces like Metcalf. And I, I like Walker as a running back. I think it's it's going well for them. And obviously, Gino is having, you know, his breakout season finally after all these years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's the Seahawks, and, I'm uh, you know, you know we've heard from Fitz all season, you know, they're just happy to be here to a certain extent and, and happy that the team is not a complete disaster. But the real story of this game is the, is the Niners, I think they... They just look really good. They, especially offensively. I mean, the defense we always knew was solid. You know, elite was going to do some damage, but this offense, you know, there's always been question marks at the the QB level and if they could integrate all the pieces together. And it really does seem to be coming. Coming together at just the right time for for the, the Niners to be quite dangerous. I mean, getting Debo healthy is a is a massive plus plus for the playoffs, especially in the early early drives he was he was a very big part of getting the Niners offense going. Him and CMC mm-hmm. are a very kinda of potent one too that they can just they can kinda of mix it up and, and use them in different different ways and could be hard to combat all of the various things that that the Niners can do at that level. I mean, the big question offensively for the Niners is the is the Brock Purdy question. I mean, he's not the finished article, but I think the coaches are very good at maximizing his skills and minimizing his weaknesses like he gets a lot of throws to open res- Receivers, or a lot of his plays are setting up for yards after the carrot catch because that's what his, what his wide receivers are good at. So they're they're maximizing what they have. But the real question, I guess, comes is is he the Niners' answer at QB? Is, is he the the finally the final piece they've been looking for? And what would that mean for someone like Trey Lance, who has never really looked like he ever fitted into the Niners' scheme, even? Uh, when he was uh, healthy uh, and playing Um, the defense here kind of slow start but got stepped up in the second half and and made the big plays when it counted so yeah the Niners look really good interesting I I would consider them to be a better team than Philadelphia and I would put them as the NFC favorites but obviously you got to win those games and and the Dallas game next week is going to be very good if the Cowboys can turn up but uh, yeah for them the the sky's the limit and for the Seahawks I mean the just not being in the basement is should be considered a, a good season for them
2: yeah, the fits just, and we won't go too far into this, this will be more off season talk. But looking at Seattle here, do you think they give a big extension to Gino, take him on for a couple of years, or what do you think happens here?
1: Well, I think it'll depend on the, the money situation. Like, Seattle have surprisingly little cap given how young the team has become over the last year, but. I, uh, the reports I'm hearing are that the uh, Seattle would definitely just consider tagging him, uh, non-exclusively. So it's a little bit uh, less. It's a bit Thirty or something. Yeah, So, like, I think the two sides, all the noises have been positive, and it's just about coming to a a landing zone number. Um, I think mm. you're probably looking at something with guarantees in the mid twenties per year, maybe on a two year contract, totals of like okay. maybe just over 30 something like that but you know given how crazy the, the quarterback contract might go and how certain other quarterbacks are going to free agency or maybe obviously a little bit younger uh, might make things go a bit wild mm. uh, it's hard to know right now but I think Seattle definitely wants to keep him and if he's willing to take a kind of like 16th quarterback type contract then I think it'll happen pretty yeah. easily
2: it's a nice spot to be in there with, you know, getting this kind of success, have a young core, have a workable quarterback there, and also still have the fourth overall pick in the draft thanks to Denver shitting the bed. That's great. Uh, next up, let's have a look at, uh, speaking of shitting the bed, the Chargers at Jacksonville, 30-31, to 636 uh, yard Patterson field goal, caps a massive comeback as the LA Chargers were sitting up 27-0 to nothing, uh, and absolutely coasting it as Jacksonville had a terrible, terrible first half did five turnovers. Uh, Lawrence came out in the second half and said, "You know what? I'm gonna shake that off. It doesn't matter." Uh, his final stat line: 288 yards, four touchdowns, four interceptions, three of which went to Curtis Samuel. It was uh, or is it not Curtis Samuel? Um, it's not Sante Samuel. Samuel. <laughs> Curtis Samuel. That would be a slightly different statement. Uh, but no, it was. Um, it was a very, very impressive uh, comeback almost. like Just mentally, particularly that young, to be able to, 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 to come back and, and go crazy. Uh, the coaching must be given a huge tip of the hat. Uh, this was a cracking job uh, from their head coach. He did a lot of ballsy moves. The fourth down, laid on. The, the timeout that many would say is one of the most important timeouts you'll see where he takes a timeout, doesn't like what he sees, moves in theory it looks to be moving out of the short run to the right hand side and actually just disguises it and runs down the right hand side after the timeout which was which is beautiful. Uh Herbert was fine in this game. Like I think too many people are saying, Jesus the Chargers were looking amazing and then they completely collapsed. They weren't really. Like they didn't actually have to do much in the first half because it was turnovers that were putting them there um so herbert even with this score line of having you know 30 points scored he was 273 yards and a touchdown um there wasn't too much run game in here the, there was there was a couple of bits that need to be called out so like yes the offense didn't look fantastic and they completely went into a shell in the second half that was not great um Their defence started to allow a lot of things to happen and then got incredibly frustrated. Uh, I think Bosa has literally just cost himself money by... Being an insufferable shite, uh, he caused two. Stop ma- the
1: steal! Stop the steal! Stop the steal! He,
2: uh, he 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 caused he caused two massive penalties. One negated a sack, so he turned it like a fourth and twenty-one into a third and five, which was just ridiculous. And then gave them the shot to actually go for the win because they were going to take they were going to kick the point after and just go three behind. And then Bosa got angry and shouty and smashing helmets and got pissy with the ref, and uh, they gave him a penalty. Half to isn't just the goal and they said well if it's a one yarder we might as well give it a shot and that's what allowed them to be kicking to win um yeah it was it was messy and uh if you haven't seen it yet go and look up bose's uh post-game interview where he talks about the refs stealing it and how the refs are probably all in there laughing at him saying i got that bastard <laughs> like it's just it's just hilarious what a moany little shite um but yeah cracking job from jacksonville to come back shite job from chargers i honestly don't know how their head coach is still still here like this was a total team collapse and it has to be on him and this is what they've done in so many of these games not just this year previous years but this year particularly
0: yeah chargers got a charge i think is is the takeaway from this game i mean Especially on the defensive side, they were so good in that first half, really aggressive. They completely disrupted the Jags' offense. They they took away all the short and intermediate routes that the Jacksonville thrive on, and Trevor Lawrence was, was seeing Asante Samuel everywhere. I mean, he was being soul red. Samuel had, had his number, and they just looked. And on the offensive side, Eckler was doing a lot of damage, and it was just looking like it was all... Coming together, and then it just it just disappeared. And I, and it's it's not you can't point to one or two particular things. It, there was just a shift in momentum, and I, and I do think there is a coaching thing you can talk about. And there's maybe two two particular things I would say about the coaching. The first thing was the decision to play the starters in week 18, and thus losing Mike Williams oh, really yeah. starts to hurt mm. them when they have more wide receiver injuries during this game, and suddenly they've lost their their long. They're long passing options and and suddenly the offense gets completely kicked out of its rhythm. I think you can point to Williams not being there as one of the reasons why they lost their offensive rhythm in the second half, which can be pointed to Staley. The other one is that a head coach in these kind of situations, it, it really tells how players believe in head coach how they play and how they how they what kind of confidence they bring out there look at people look at the way the jets play around robert salah or how dan campbell inspires the lions these are players really believe in them in the coaching and therefore they believe in themselves but when you don't believe in the coaching even on a subconscious level then you start to question yourself you start to get frustrated and panicky. And that's when you see the, the kind of mentality problems we saw on the Chargers side. So I think the psychological aspect of this is something that you can ultimately point to and say that Brandon Staley needs to be the guy who, who makes sure that even, or even make sure when things are starting to fall apart, that it doesn't fall apart completely. He, get, he gets both out of his head. He, he makes sure the offense, you know, is all still on the same page. He rallies the troops. There was no rallying the troops going on here that they let themselves crumble um, completely. In terms of Jacksonville, I mean, you know, great, great result, great performance, great turnaround, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I begin to worry about them next week when they're facing the Chiefs. I mean, the defense in particular did not play at all well. And there definitely was a lot of what of nerves and, and being blinded by the playoff lights. Lawrence had just an abysmal start uh, and eventually uh, recovered. Uh, you know the second half they, they much more aggression on the second uh, in the second half from the defense especially the front seven they, they got things going offensively Engram began to become a much more bigger part of the offense Lawrence began to trust who was, who was throwing to but you can't have that if they have that first half against the Chiefs, they will be out of sight by the time they have their their recovery. So I, 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 we've been talking about this Jags team. has been a great story. But as, as Fitz said last week, probably a year too early in the playoffs, this, you know, a, a crazy win, but doesn't really set me up in, in any sense of their quality. And I would be fearing for them against the Chiefs because they're there's... There's some talent here, but, and there's some great coaching, but the pieces aren't all together, and I worry that they're going to get a, a soul-crushing defeat that might set them back a little while, it, um, uh, uh, set them in, in terms of their confidence for next year. But maybe just enjoy the ride while it lasts. But the Chargers, my God, this, this, they gotta, They got to stop charging. Whatever is wrong with that organization, they need to fix it because you cannot ruin Justin Herbert's career like this. Um, it's, just, it's, just, it's just ridiculous
1: yes but but they can ruin his career like this they ruined <laughs> philip river's career and lt's career and they've they've wasted like justin herbert's a great talent but they've wasted plenty of great talents over the last 20 years it's just the charger way and and like i think that williams injury cannot be overstated like they missed their deep threat and we've seen this year that when they don't have a deep threat that it becomes much easier to to lock down the kinds of guys like keenan allen who's obviously really good but you know he's still uh, more of a possession receiver at this point in his career, Josh Palmer, none of these guys really have much juice to them. And so like the biggest receiver in this game was Gerald Everett, the tight end were over 100 yards. And, you know, even, a, even one of the few guys they have left who has a bit of juice, DeAndre Carter, he gets an injury. And then they have to promote uh, Michael Bandy to the starting, uh, starting role. And then like, you know, there wasn't actually that many big plays that like, let Jacksonville get in. like Fair play to Jacksonville, it was mostly they had to do the hard work themselves and basically be perfect on every single drive Uh, once the, the Chargers went up 27 up. But there was a play at the end of the first half where Michael Bandy was doing a sweep play which would usually have been Michael Williams' play and if it wasn't Mike Williams it would be DeAndre Carter and Bandy oh, yeah. didn't know he, he was supposed to take... He didn't
2: know the play call, did he?
1: Yeah, and they have a fumble and then they give the ball back to Jacksonville and that turns into the touchdown that they get just before the half to make this twenty seven to seven and you know, it doesn't seem like a huge difference, but, you know, being twenty seven points down and being twenty points down, like that's, you know, four touchdowns versus three touchdowns, right? Like and, you know, if you're a team that has a strong mental fortitude and you have a head coach who's been here and done everything before, has won the Super Bowl before, then that's the kind of just the little chink of light that might just allow you to Believe in yourself and to work hard. And as I said, like fair play to Jacksonville, they came out and uh, like uh, to, to a certain extent, I think the defensive play calling has to take um some uh hurt from this because the kind of quick passing game that's really been the bread and butter of Trevor Lawrence's evolution into a like becoming who we think he might become. Like that just started working immediately, and it hadn't worked in the first half. So maybe you know, I, like I get it. Like it's you know making them throw underneath and waste the clock and kind of you know doing that way. It could make sense from a certain perspective but obviously in retrospect it does look a little bit foolish to have allowed Lawrence to basically have the thing that he's most comfortable doing and letting basically get his rhythm get back into rhythm and start getting these touchdowns that ended up obviously being very important at the end of this game and like you know the the, the Chargers on the other hand like they weren't awful, like they weren't going three and out everything, like every drive had at least I think nine or so plays in the second half, but they weren't converting that into points, they had a field goal um, uh, which, you know, uh, ideally you know, you're know, you getting into Jacksonville half, you get field and then they have a missed field goal, which was probably more egregious because that was well into the Jackson, that was just outside the Jacksonville red zone, so you know, it's a 40 yard field goal you miss and obviously that turns out to be pretty important at the end, so, you know, it, it wasn't that it, like, you know, the Chargers are going to charge but I do think Jacksonville just played well and the chargers just kind of stood still and just didn't react as this game started heating up again i think they just were playing cold were playing as if this was still like a fifth you know a two score three score game well at the point at which jacksonville were heating up they were getting excited the fans were getting into this you know the hot tubs were getting even hotter than usual on the sideline um, i would not and- want to be in the hot tubs after this victory <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, it's, it's Jacksonville. I wouldn't want to be in any Jacksonville top, up <laughs> frank. But I think the big thing is that the Chargers just caught cold. And I think it just reflects the fact that, like, I think the worst thing about the Chargers team is that, uh, and Brandon Staley in particular, is that, like, you know, at least when Brandon Staley came in, it was crazy. He he was exciting. He was, you know, he'd go down and fourth down from pretty much any situation. He, uh, you know, and that's the kind of stuff we don't expect from a defensive head coach. Two years later, after all the stuff that's happened to him. He's just turned into another defensive head coach where when the chips are down, when the pressure is really on, he wilts. He doesn't look like he has a plan. He just looks kind of lost. And when you see what happens on the sideline, like when Nick Bosa, sorry, yeah, sorry, Joey Bosa hammers his helmet off the floor. The, Staley picks it up gives <laughs> it, back, it back, him, back to him Bosa whacks it on the floor again it just doesn't give you the sense of a guy who's truly in control he he, he is he's a very smart person I think he understands football at a, at a high level but I don't think he's quite had the right aura I, I got it's a terrible word but like he doesn't have quite the right Uh, personality it feels like to be a leader of men and to show and take a team which has so much history upon their back of being chokers and take them to the next level so like he's going to get one more chance it looks like Uh, but you know like after a collapse like this you would imagine the leash is going to be very very short next season yeah I would I would put
2: him as my early candidate to be chopped mid-season next year already if he holds on Uh, next up my god this game lasted about 8 hours it was almost as long as Avatar 2 Miami at Buffalo (laughs) 31 to 34 Buffalo just about edge an incredibly sloppy game Uh, Allen went for 350 yards 3 touchdowns 2 interceptions and a fumble Uh, he was kind of all over the shop on this one Uh, Diggs had over 100 yards so did Davis and he got a touchdown too but the 3 turnovers led to 17 points which meant all of a sudden we had a tight game with my Miami um and it was just it was it was a really weird game for Miami because they were so close, but they kept shooting themselves in the foot. But then you looked at it and you go, Well, you're on your third string quarterback here. But like every single time they were just about getting the snap off in time, they had false starts, loads of delays of game, like just constantly costing themselves. So Thompson he had one or two like nice throws here and there, but overall was not great. He had two hundred and twenty yards, a touchdown and two interceptions. Yeah, it was just, it was weird because it felt like if Miami had, you know, even just a base level of a few less mistakes, they might have actually won this game. Which they had no business doing, but Buffalo were shitting themselves left, right and centre. It was very, very confusing. So, like, Miami were doing this incredibly hard, like essentially like rush zero approach where they were leaving no safety help at all. And like trying to always send an extra man or two on the rush and it was getting them killed at times, but there was also, you know, as soon as they started to drop some support coverage over the top, they started getting the picks and all that kind of stuff. But I was saying this going into this game that I didn't think Miami really had a route, but that I, I, I but I've been saying for weeks, Buffalo have looked sloppy and they haven't looked quite right. And this was an embodiment of that. Like, almost any other team, and I include the Chargers in this, would have beaten Buffalo if they were in the spot that Miami were in in this. Like, Buffalo actively tried to lose this game, essentially, because they were just not playing up to scratch. And they're lucky that it was a third-string quarterback backing this Miami team because otherwise and also for some reason a a, a slew of receivers who've decided today's the day they forget how to catch because there were so many dropped balls that were actually well placed um like it was it, it was bizarre to me but yeah Buffalo get away with it but Jesus it wasn't impressive
1: Yeah, like Josh Allen turned into Jameis Winston so slowly that no one's quite noticed. But uh, he has like now 22 turnovers this season. He's been sloppy and he's been throwing turnovers not only in obvious situations, but he's been doing in the red zone a lot. It's just been, as you say, sloppy. And, you know, you kind of, like this is, you know, because Josh Allen's been so good in recent years, you kind of go, okay, he's got to turn around at some point, right? He's got to turn around at some point. But, you know, in their biggest game of the season... Um, albeit one I suppose like you might excuse looking past a little bit given the quarterback that's playing opposite them you know he looked still messy he still looked sloppy he still looked way too casual with the ball and this is a game that it felt like buffalo early were just going to blow away they had a 17 point lead then and even when the game kind of got close again there was a point in the second half where they got a 10 point lead and you go okay maybe buffalo will reassert but no this way it came down to chaos and confusion all the way to the end like the dolphins had a very realistic opportunity to either tie this game up or win this game. Um, they had the final real drive of this of of this game, and obviously they couldn't do anything with it. Uh, but you know, it's just a situation where if Skyler Thompson's your quarterback, I suppose you just. Fucked basically um against the team of any real quality so i think if you're a bills fan you have to be really really worried about this you have to be worried that josh allen is just not quite josh allen i think when you see the next game you have to be concerned like was brian dayball a huge part of why josh allen was the superstar he has been the last two years is he reverting back to the much more inconsistent player he was when he entered the nfl without that guiding hand on his back so yeah i'd be very very worried now look Despite all of that, Josh Allen in this game has over 300 yards. He has three touchdowns. He had two over 100-yard receivers. He was making big plays. He's obviously such a huge threat with the run. But obviously, as you say, as we get further into this tournament the margins for error are going to become much less and less and less and you know giving the ball away three times or indeed four times for Trevor Lawrence you're not going to get away with that against the teams going forward um, most likely so huge concerns there I think if you're a Buffalo fan at least the defense uh, held up fairly well albeit against Skylar Thompson but even there you'd have some concerns that you know they were able to put up any production with a guy like Skylar Thompson but like you know did the, the, this matchup between Miami and Buffalo each time they played this year has been a little bit weird so I'm not completely surprised but yeah it was was a bit strange I think Buffalo's play calling could also be better they were going I think particularly in the second half when you thought things we need to calm down run the ball a bit more take control of this game they seemed to go to a really vertical just hoof the ball down to Diggs and Davis type of of offence like they were just like so scared of this game and just wanted to get out of this game as quickly as possible that they're like okay we need to score lots of points and not make this a contest anymore and it just felt a bit jittery and stuff like that and I suppose not helped by the fact that Miami's blitz heavy defence as you mentioned with a lot of coverage zero blitzes was a bit weird to kind of watch as well given how boom and bust it was so yeah just overall weird as for miami like look like quarterback basically just sunk them here like their defense and their special teams kind of did everything they could but this offense as you say in a tough environment obviously in buffalo where, where the fans are quite loud um just didn't seem to know what it's and you know Obviously, people are going to remember, you know, a fourth and one turning into a fourth and six because of a delay game, like the kind of game situations where you cannot afford to make a mistake that stupid, that basic. But it is what it is. Like they had false starts, they had other delays of games and they were just, I suppose, just, hamstrung by the fact that against a fairly solid defense they just didn't have much to attack them back with and you know obviously you'd imagine that if Tua wasn't there this could have been uh, it was ripe for the taking for uh, Miami to win this game but you know they they I think they are now saying they're committed to Tua we'll see if that comes true in the offseason um but you know, we saw in this season a really streaky team, which you know had really big ups and really big downs. Uh, but with the quarterback position, such being a big question mark, you know, I, I'm uncertain how good this team's going to be going forward. But they have the potential to be really, really good with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. But that potential won't be there if you don't have a quarterback. So uh, tough times ahead for Miami. But uh, you know, I suppose at least they weren't blown out like people expected. So you have to give them some credit for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely you have to give them credit. I, I think the coaching the coaches, the Miami coaches do need to be given their props for taking a team that, you know, had some serious deficiencies in talent against, you know, on paper one of the best teams in the NFL and they, they made it a lot more competitive than people thought. I mean, to a certain extent this is a divisional rivalry thing where the divisional teams all know each other in weirdly intimate ways and thus it's it's just like every AFC North game. Once these These teams get to know each other very well. The games turn out very strange. And the Dolphins certainly seem to have the Bills numbers somewhat. They do seem to have a lot of things figured out, and therefore the Bills can't ever seem to, to really and put them the way. But yeah, ultimately the problem here was that, you know, at some point you need your quarterback to do something. And Thompson, he had some flashes. He, he did play better than I thought he would. He certainly did play better than he played in week 18, but ultimately just not good enough. And and the, 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 the momentum killing interception, I think it was, was it a 24 all or something? It was, it was, there was one moment, there was one interception, a really long throw that was just, it was a terrible call in the first place to, to make it a passing down instead of a you know they were like third and nine on their own five or something they really should have just shut that down but then he goes and makes an absolutely terrible read of the field and, and gives the, the ball away to these defenders those kind of mistakes that ultimately were the difference but i mean it's the Bills. i mean the dolphins can come away a little bit with their head held high given the situation they were in and the way the season was crumbling that they 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 made them stay you know they, they stood their ground they made themselves known for the bills yeah you got to be a, you got to be quite worried about where this is going The Josh Allen stuff, I mean, when he was good, he was very, very good, but there was a middle section you know, where there was just, you know, sloppy interceptions, a fumble, it all seemed to be crumbling, and I genuinely thought Alan was having a meltdown on the field. He didn't seem to be able to even pass the ball for, for two or three drives there without making a mistake. But I mean, they pulled it out. They they you know they were able to get the momentum turned on that interception and they were able to get a score and then it kind of felt like that they'd just done enough. But you know it's a bad sign when you're relying on people like Cole Beasley to be the, you know, the useful useful veteran who knows a system that can get you out of a Jam when you have so many so many better pieces out there that to be worked on you'd wonder if it's a complacency thing because they did start obviously start quite strongly and were 17 nil up and then they maybe got a little bit complacent and then maybe the fear kicked in it was like oh shit we're 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 throwing this game away and eventually they're able to steady the ship just enough but I would be a little bit worried of where this is going they haven't played well in quite a while it's hard to think about the last time this Bills team played really well I mean certainly it's been five or six weeks of quite sloppy back-to-back plays Back-to-back games, and now it's crunch time because now you're facing a Cincinnati Bengals side who, you know, maybe didn't have the best game against the Ravens, but are certainly at their are capable of being a really tough team to, to to beat. And if the Bills aren't on their game, they're gonna they're going to, you know, get. Get crushed, um, or certainly they're going to get their hearts broken. And for this is supposed to be the championship year, this is supposed to be the Bills season, and it it just it's not really looking like that anymore. There certainly are better options both on the AFC side and also on the NFC side that look like they're going to win it all. And if the Bills don't make the Super Bowl, I mean, you got to consider, given all it's putting into it, that that's a that's a failed season. Um, so the pressure is on, and now they have to perform.
2: It's an interesting one. Like hopefully, hopefully the turn Like you said, it could just be complacency. It could be looking past it, knowing that they kind of had an idea of who the two possible opponents would be afterwards. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see if they can turn it around. Uh, next up, New York Giants at the Minnesota Vikings, 31-24. to Who could have guessed that the team that has been winning all of its one-score games and not looking very impressive, would shit the bed and finally lose a one-score game. Uh, New York Giants win a basically defense-free contest as Danny Dimes puts on his best Cam Newton impression, 301 yards and two touchdowns for the air, plus 78 rushing on the ground. There's a couple of design rushes, a couple of ones that he just did himself. Uh, it looked like a far more developed offense or a more developed scheme that they were running than you know we've seen for a couple of years with, with 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 Daniel Dimes so uh yeah no it was very good Hodgins had 105 yards and a touchdown Slayton had 88 yards but he did have a big drop later on and uh, you know basically look this this team goes through Saquon Barkley at the moment he had 109 yards and two touchdowns on the ground he was just very very good Um Kirk Cousins did as Kirk Cousins does 273 yards and two touchdowns but Basically, all the shit that they were doing in previous games, why we didn't think they were a good, you know, whatever, 12-win team, that started to come back and bite them in the ass. Like, the final play of this game, he throws the ball, he's, he climbs the pocket a little bit, decides to throw the ball, throws the ball short of the sticks by a fair distance, I might add, and TJ Hawkinson is tackled down to the ground. That's the end of the game, right? And in the press conferences afterwards, he comes out and goes... Well, I have done that a couple of times this year and it always seems to work. I don't know why it didn't work this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best answer you have. Um
1: it was yeah, Whoa. it was not this great. This is um this is a man who is a vaccine skeptic, so it kinda yeah. makes sense from that point of view.
2: Yeah. Um you know, he's just like so like yeah, the Giants refused to kinda of cover Hawkinson. They didn't really do a great job on defense full stop, but they didn't really need to. They were able to kind of get there in the end and get it done. I said to a friend of ours uh I think about 10 minutes into this game that Minnesota that the that the Minnesota had already kind of you know made jokes of themselves and they were going to be done. I think it was on the it was their second drive where they did that really really weird um fake jet sweep throw back to Kirk Cousins handoff. So it was a 4th and 1 if I remember correctly. So I think it was fourth and one, decided to run a fake jet sweep where they then threw the ball back to Kirk Cousins over the middle to try and get him to pass, and he lost three or four yards in it. And I was just like, what? What is this? Like, what are you trying to achieve? What are you overthinking? You're not a very good team, but just stick to the basics and you'll stay close. Like, it was just mind-boggling some of the calls that they made in this game. It just didn't... Yeah, it just... I I don't know. This Minnesota team just confuses the shit out of me. Like, this result is perfect. This is exactly where we expected them to end up. But, yeah, I don't know. For the Giants team, look, huge stuff. And, you know, it must be... I'm sure Sean's spidey senses are tingling for you when you go like oh, a scrappy New York Giants team that haven't had the best season make their way into the playoffs and suddenly start to come alive. And, you know, like, I'm not sure if Danny Dimes is Eli Manning, but he has definitely stepped it up in this game versus what we're used to seeing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's last week I did say literally that Danny Dimes is not Eli Manning. But now watching that game, I'm beginning to wonder if maybe he can turn into it. I mean, it was the best performance of his career, but by mm. some distance, he looks really or, comfortable. Or as,
2: system. as his coach said, good. He, <laughs> he, he refused <laughs> to use any other terminology. And when questioned on, he goes, doesn't good mean good. I think he did a good job.
0: <laughs> it suggests that every other performance he's had so far has been not good. But, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, no, he's really grown into the system. He looks really comfortable. Dayball knows exactly what he wants from him. And he's, he does seem to have this, you know, young quarterback, you know, whisper thing where he can he can turn these, you know, uncertain young quarterbacks in, into superstars. And every game he looks a little bit more comfortable. And this, I mean, this entire giant season just shows what a difference good coaching can make for a team because it's a team with not a tremendous amount of talent, but they know how to maximize every single drop of that talent even Saquon Barkley who looked like his you know career was petering out back into nothingness it seems like he's back something close to his best the defense is playing i mean i thought the defense did quite good in keeping i mean Justin Jefferson was kept almost entirely quiet in this game and i mean once you take away you know the viking star receiver they don't have tremendous amount else going on um uh, if you can scheme it up properly so the giants i mean you know incredible you no know, great win and they do look like a team that can give they come into games with with. with plan with clear game plans and all the players are on the same page. It goes back to this coaching thing I talked about, Brandon Staley. The players all believe in the plan and they believe in the system and they see the results and, and they've completely bought into it and it works. And they're very clever coaching and they really know what they're doing and they're going to be a tough out for any team. The Eagles are not going to have an easy game next week, that's for sure. As for the Vikings, I mean, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. I mean, they're, you know, who would have thought, Yeah, as you said, the team that's so good at one-score games would ultimately be defeated by a one-score game. I mean, it just kind of shows they've been riding their luck all season, that, you know, you can't be 11-0 and in one-score games without, you know, being incredibly uh, lucky in terms of the, the usual variants of these games. And it showed in this one that they were not the team that, you know, the team we thought they were, they're not the team that their record suggested that they were. I mean... Kirk Cousins—he's something like four and forty-two in prime time and playoff now. I mean, it's it's a it's a pretty big stain on your character that you can't perform when it matters all that much. The the checkdown at the end kind of sums up the entirety of the Kirk Cousins era at the Vikings. Also, some huge questions defensively. Um, you gotta imagine there's big changes. I think there's talk of Ed Donatell, the defensive coordinator, getting the chop. Certainly the defense has looked pretty poor all season and has been their Achilles heel... Um, and it's going to be hard for the vikings i mean how do you recover from the season because you've no real gauge about how good you are because you think you're a really good team because you had a really good record but at no point did you ever play like a really good team so do they go do the coaching staff go away or the upper management go away and go look we got to overhaul you large parts of this because it didn't really work or is there going to be very difficult to get that kind of you know that that buy into a massive change when someone can turn around and go yeah but we won like 12 13 games I mean we can't need that many changes I think it there it's it's one of those it's it's kind of a pyrrhic victory type of a season where you know you know the wins will ultimately almost cost them more in the long run because they won't make the changes they need to make but uh, yeah we all thought the Vikings season was I thought they were gonna get blown out by somebody I, they didn't even get that far they didn't get bl- get far enough to be blown out by a good team um so I you know I'm not I'm not gonna miss them one bit and I uh, you know, I hope they change lots of things and come forward because players like Jefferson deserve, you know, a much better team around them than they have because this is, this team, as long as they're built around Kirk, Kirk Cousins, is not going anywhere anytime soon and the sooner they figure that out, the better. But it's one of those catch-22s, it's one of those you're you're trapped in a bad equilibrium kind of situations where the quarterback is, is it's kind of like, and I'm kind of surprised the Raiders didn't take the plunge on Derek Carr because he's... Another kind of example of this. A quarterback that's just good enough to make it so every season you you kind of want to give him one more year, but ultimately he's never going to win you the Super Bowl. And the sooner the Vikings realize that, the better because he is a large part of what's holding them back uh, at the moment.
1: Yeah, like look, this is a team that if I had a defense I think could be, probably would almost certainly be in the divisional round. I think they could... Potentially even make a championship round, but I think you're right. Like with Kirk Cousins, I don't see them winning a Super Bowl. I think to get a guy like Kirk Cousins to win a Super Bowl, you're probably talking about, you know, needing like a San Francisco with Jimmy G type situation where they have just the most ridiculous array of talent on the offense and defense, and the quarterback is just a joystick type guy. Like he just looks, I suppose, as like Mark sester from the around the NFL podcast, a Stone Age Pony compared to the other quarterbacks that we just see in the playoffs, for example. He's just a guy who, if you get them in the in into the in this in the pocket, there's nothing he can do, and that's basically what happened on the final uh, on the final play. Like he was in the pocket, um, there was great pressure coming from Dexter Lawrence, who had an amazing game, by the way. Um, but. Uh, There's nothing he can do. Whereas you look at even Danny Dimes, who obviously has severe limitations, uh, albeit he had a great game here and fair play to him. uh, But as I said, against a really bad defense, Danny Dimes is dynamic. Danny Dimes can run. Danny Dimes can turn a broken play into a scramble for 10, 20 yards. Kirk Cousins will never be able to do that just like literally impossible for him to be and when you look at the guys who exist at the quarterback position now we're not 10 years ago the only other one who was really like that was Tom Brady and he isn't looking great at the moment either. Like, even a guy like Geno Smith can run around a little bit. Even Brock Purdy, he's not the most athletic guy, but at least he's come through the college system where that was expected, and he's perfectly comfortable doing that. So it's just, yeah, a cap on what the offense can be to some extent. But as I say, the real reason that the Vikings have been a paper tiger all along is that their defense is historically bad, and it was shown up particularly early in this game where Danny Dines was just finding Isaiah Hodgins um, at will, and Richie James at will. They were just streaking, Wide open, so fair play to Brian Dayball. He must have done his homework on this defense and made Danny Dimes basically a, probably a bunch of money either with the Giants or somewhere else by that kind of dominant display. But I think as the game went on and things stiffened up from the from the Vikings and they they adjusted a little bit, you know, Dimes. Considered that he continued to make decent throws, uh, but then you saw more of his rushing ability, like 78 yards rushing. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Like I think you, he doesn't look like the most comfortable runner by any stretch, but he is he is fast, he is athletic and he does bring that to your game. And when you bring in Barkley, who's having, who looked after getting basically a week off last week, um, fully healthy, fully juiced, juiced up, like he, he is obviously a huge weapon. I think he had a mid-season slump as he was kind of worn out a bit, but now that he's back in form, I think the offensive line has gelled as the season's gone on. That gives them a potent weapon to potentially get some more upsets going forward. I wouldn't bet in it, but potentially um going forward. So the Giants fair play to them. They took care of a terrible defence. They did they they did solid enough on their own defense. It wasn't great but it was solid enough. And guys like Dexter Lawrence stood up. Uh but for the Vikings a great defense could get them back into the playoffs and be relevant next season. But yeah, Kirk Cousins, can you win a Super Bowl with him? That seems like a bridge too far to me. No,
2: and if I remember correctly, he is owed quite a lot of money next year as well, which is going to be a bit of a bit of a problem for them because I think they had to like do ongoing guarantees or whatever, so they can't yeah. even get out of it. Yeah, so like next year his cap hit is thirty six million, which isn't too bad, but his dead cap is uh, <laughs> nearly fifty million dollars, so that's uh Yeah, that's that's not great now. Um, So they can't get rid of him. So they are stuck with him for another year unless they can find someone who's willing to pay that as a trade partner. And some of that is guaranteed. So I think they're still on the hook for about 20 million even if they get rid of him. So I think we've got one more year. Uh, next up, we have Baltimore-Cincinnati, 17-24. to Another one that was surprisingly close. Uh, 98-yard fumble recovery or fumble return touchdown is essentially what the difference in this one is. Burroughs struggled quite a bit, 209 yards and a touchdown. Their offensive line, as we mentioned, had some injuries coming into this and received some during the game. The Baltimore defense made the most of that. They obviously got that fumble. They had four sacks, four tackles for a loss and held them to a total of 250 yards. I mentioned at the top of the show, the the run game for the Cincinnati team basically disappeared uh, in this game. I think they had, whatever, 40 yards or something like that. It was not impressive in the slightest. Uh, Huntley did his best mini Lamar impression, 226 yards and two touchdowns and an in interception through the air, plus 54 on the ground. And then the fumble, obviously, that we mentioned that became the 98-yard run back for the, uh, I believe it's like... Uh, a local boy wasn't he as well yeah hubbard's, yeah, uh, hubbard's local. a
1: eastern alley boy so
2: yeah because he, he won a state championship in the city yeah so it's, it's nice to see that happen um they went run heavy uh on the baltimore side 155 on the ground uh but yeah like just the fumble at the end was just just heartbreaking really for them um because as i said this is a game that the difference was a giant chunk play that was just you know uh, unfortunate it was it was it was Obviously, a great heads-up play from the defense, but it is kind of, you know, it's not something you could be banking on in that spot. And like I said, if it wasn't for the fact that they're on their backup quarterback, probably wouldn't have happened. Um, now, look, Cincinnati get there. They overcame their problems, were able to hold them off at the tail end after maybe some questionable play calling from Baltimore and what they did at the tail end of this on the fourth down. Like, why... They didn't put it in the hands of the running back who'd had success so far. Is maybe a question that should be answered. And they were very quick to say, you know, well, if Lamar was out there, we would have won him. To be honest, in a game this close, that probably could have been the difference between it. um But they held out. Again, not dissimilar to the Buffalo thing. This is a Cincinnati team that looks cold. Like, yes, this is a good defense from Baltimore. It's not a groundbreaking defense from Baltimore. It's not top tier from Baltimore, but it's good um this should not be a spot where burrow is struggling to get over 200 yards this should not be a situation where they are unable to find any run game uh this is a team that is better than that and it was interesting even how they were changing their own uh route patterns and stuff of like they started having chase just kind of drop into mid zone stuff and then try and just get yards after instead of sending him deep uh it was It was interesting. I don't know if there was a bit more to it. Maybe it was just having to adjust for the offensive line issues. But um, yeah, they did not look comfortable. And it's why I have concerns for this Cincinnati team going forward if the line issues stay as they are.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, But I do think the Ravens have played Cincinnati tough every single game this season that they've played I think whatever Harbaugh has found in all the analysis in the offseason obviously division rivals so you, you spend extra time in them seems to have really worked in terms of slowing down and bringing this Cincinnati offense which is so explosive so, so many other weeks to a true standstill and just turn it into one of those ASC North grind fest this is a game that I think the Ravens are going to be kicking themselves that they didn't win this because they, they were the better team in this thing like obviously the quarterback was Position, they were at a deficit, but like they were the team who was making life really, really difficult for Joe Burrow. Who you know, you have to give him some props for keeping the game clean and avoiding big mistakes. Uh, but he was really being held in check, and their big explosive plays from Chase, as you said, weren't appearing. And they basically just gave up on that. They had to give up on the run game, and they just weren't moving the ball very effectively at all. Like the end of this game was four punts and a downs. Um, so that gives you an indication of like when the chips are down, and you expect you know the offensive coordinators on both sides to be bringing out their best they weren't able to get it done and while Baltimore has the excuse that they're playing a backup quarterback that wasn't an excuse that, that you know the, the Bengals certainly have. So, you know, the Ravens, their defense just has a key on this Cincinnati offense, and they just happen to keep hold it down and make their life difficult throughout, but particularly when the offensive line uh, lost uh, another player, Jonah Williams. Like, you just, like, but even from the start, like the pocket for, for, for Burrow was collapsing very, very quickly. He was having to play at his absolute best to avoid making mistakes to get any kind of production out of this game. Um, but once the offensive line got more injured, it just got even worse. And it was just, it was really tough to see a guy like Joe Burrow, who is trying so hard, like, be forced to basically check it down all the time, or just uh, just kind of take it from that perspective, So, or just take the sack, of course. So, you know, that all kind of made sense. And the offense for the Ravens was broadly not good because it's never been good for the basic back half of the season but this was probably one of the better displays that we saw from this ravens offense in recent months like they ran the ball really well jk dobbins was looking particularly explosive uh, he's really come on but they only used him 13 times i'm not quite sure why but you know they just didn't use him as much as i thought they would they had a few nice designed runs for tyler huntley and he scrambled for around oh, just over 50 yards and you know as a passer he had a pretty tough first half but i think you saw some sparks of decent plays he made the big uh, touchdown throw to demarcus robinson he made some smart plays to mark andrews and you know i wouldn't say it was a great pass offense but at least it looked functional because while it was still a close you know tied or so game it, you know you could focus on the run game it's about staying in the game and, and making this down to the last moment but yeah just uh obviously people aren't going to remember the solid play they're going to remember the huge fucking mistake from tyler huntley where about a yard and a half out um based on what we saw from the other players it seems he was supposed to go for you know a traditional sneak he decides to jump up over the offensive line put the ball out there well like probably like half a yard short of the at uh, the end zone and you know fair play to the Cincinnati defense they swat it down and fair play to Sam Hubbard being in the perfect position to take the ball and then show the wheels to get that big 98 yard uh, fumble return touchdown and that was obviously ended up being the key, key play like there was you know five other drives afterwards but obviously it ends up being the key play and that's the one that people remember about Huntley and like look the comments from Dobbins afterwards where he said you know they should have giving me the ball on the on the goal line we would have won this game if lamar jackson had been playing albeit he's playing like you know some of that's the out of context to be fair to him but you know that the the, 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 even in context it's not great um it's just a situation where the ravens had did like you know given their constraints i think they did they eked every inch as they could have this game but just one stupid mistake gave the bengals the window they needed to just get this game and steal a win in my opinion and get it done so for the ravens i said they're gonna kick themselves over this game but i think for us as you know neutral nfl fans uh we're probably well, maybe not you connor given you the bengals record against kc but uh, in general i think the bengals have so much more upside that while the ravens team would have been you know a fair play to them if they've won you know they have a cap. They're 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 not a, a Super Bowl winning team. It feels like they're just really really solid, a really really hardball type team. But they
0: are what they are. I yeah. I I don't know if I kind of watched a different game than you guys. I mean, I I didn't think that Cincinnati stole this game. I thought it was a pretty even game, and perhaps you can make the case that if if the Ravens were making this pretty even with the backup quarterback, that that's not a great look for the Bengals. But Ultimately, this entire game in my mind came down to how the Cincinnati offense did against the Baltimore defense, because this was the the battle that was decided and and it kind of broke down in my mind with Burrow and his you know crumbling O line against that front seven, you know, Workon Smith and, and Patrick Queen and stuff, and also a receivers against a secondary battle, particularly it ended up being a battle between T Higgins and Marcus Peters and the Bengal, uh, the Ravens' job as a defense was to hold the Bengals down enough for you know for the give their offense a chance and in that sense you have to give them credit for for holding them to 17 points and and giving them a chance uh, in that sense but it's a really good ravens defense and i think we forget that in, in terms of because of all the the crumbling you know the the, the, the crumbling apart that the, their losses this season have not been you know haven't looked good and because the offense hasn't been great but the, the the ravens defense they they played them about even and i think that is a credit to the Cincinnati offense as much as the the baltimore defense that Burrow was able, despite the fact that his O-line was, was had some weaknesses, was able to do just enough to get the victory. Higgins was able to win his battle against Peters as often as he lost it. They, other other than the, 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 Kyle, the Kyle Hamilton fumble return, otherwise the secondary didn't do an awful lot to, to stifle what was going on. So I, I thought it was just an interesting battle between, between two good units uh, in terms of that going forward you have to wonder how long this backup o-line is going to hold up the you know obviously this has been the well the well highlighted weakness of this team and they finally thought they'd fixed it but now they're they're gone back up um, there's, you know, there, there's questions uh, ultimately about this offense. Maybe in terms of dinosaurs, I thought they they were able to open things up when they got the play action going in the second half, and, and there was definitely potential there. So I, I'm not I'm not overly worried about the Bengals in the way that I was worried um, about the Bills. I, I think their defense he, he looks quite strong, and I think their offense looks, you know, it's firing on. Maybe not a hundred percent of the cylinders you'd want from them, but they're definitely firing at like ninety percent. Whereas the Bills are. are just feels like they're down on 65, 70%. On the Baltimore side, obviously, Huntley had a pretty decent game here, that big mistake aside, but I just don't think he's ultimately good enough for what they need. They kind of had to build an offensive play around trying to minimize what he did, so they built it around the run game, controlling the clock, then to try to open up the QB play in the second half. Ultimately, that failed because Dobbins kind of, as you said, underperformed a little, and they didn't. When Huntley stepped up, he played good but he didn't play lamar good i think they do need to get that lamar situation sorted because he's the only answer that they have at the quarterback side so i think ultimately this is a game between a game between two good sides that the better side just marginally won albeit on a huge defensive turno- turnover that was the difference in them the final thing i just want to want to note though is, is the we saw the in this game the weird uh, appearance of the weirdest rule in the NFL, this weird horse collar in the pocket rule. Whereas apparently you can't rough the passer by tackling them a little bit too hard, but you can horse collar them as long as they're in the pocket, which I think is just insane. The NFL have got to fix that rule because that is, that is the weirdest kind of anomaly I've, I've seen where the, 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 the spirit of the rules is going in one direction yet they have this outlier that they haven't fixed otherwise yeah, as but long
2: as you yet. go to this part of the field you can shoot them
0: yeah right. this one small part of the field you can you could kick the shit out of the <laughs> out of the 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 QB as long as you do it in a particular way but if you if you tackle them in the wrong, wrong way slightly too hard it's a roughing the passer in 15 yards it just makes yeah.
2: sense to me no, a bit of a bit bit of a messy one, yeah. So maybe they'll get that one sorted over the summer. And finally, Dallas at Tampa Bay Monday night Super Wildcard Football, thirty-one to fourteen. Ooh, this might be a grim one for the tail end of uh, Tom Brady's career. He's now tied another record for most uh, playoff losses. He's now tied with Peyton Manning <laughs> for that. So he just needs one more year to maybe hold that record as well. Uh, and Dallas finally get uh, you know get off the snide here. Uh, they were. when playing Tom Brady. This is their first win against him. So that is... uh That's an interesting side one for you. Dallas dominance in this game. Parsons was just incredible on defense. Two tackles for a loss, a sack, 10 quarterback pressures. Uh, I think the second most quarterback pressures in a single game uh, to himself in a game several weeks ago. Um, The defense overall had an interception, two sacks, five tackles for a loss. And Brady, his numbers are going to look okay. 350 yards, two touchdowns, interception. But nearly all of that happened after this game was well in hand and it was just kind of letting him fill up a bit of... A Bit of dignity, maybe back into it. Um, he had a red zone interception now. He hasn't thrown one of those in a very long time, uh, so that's 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 fair. But Dak just looked excellent. The so the the the, the shortcomings of this defense that we talked about, uh, Dak was able to just pick apart 305 yards and four touchdowns. He was kind of clinical in this one, uh, and Tampa Bay defense, yeah, just kind of just couldn't do anything. They were 24 nothing to up early in the second half, like they're. The the weirdest thing about this was the amount of missed extra points, right? So Maher, who missed three extra points in the entire year, I think, missed four in the first half of this game. Uh, He went one of five on point afters. yeah it was I, just I, I believe it's a record i believe that's never happened before so yeah so it's just it's just just, just bizarre for someone who'd been so consistent and you could see uh, there's a there's a video of dak on the sidelines getting rather annoyed that he he commented on it afterwards and said look i i played shitty myself two weeks ago this thing's happened I, like he's a professional he'll he'll be able to, to to pick it up uh but yeah it was just just a really weird one of like absolute dominance apart from can't kick for some reason at all um But yeah, it's very hard to figure out what to take away from this. Dallas did look really good, but this is, you know, this is a Tampa Bay that backed into the playoffs on a losing record and probably shouldn't have been there and looked every inch of that, to be honest. Uh, Just, just messy. Like, we'll talk about it in the previews. I'm intrigued to see where we think this Dallas team sits. There was one small thing that I saw that I just thought was... um, interesting on Zeke. So Zeke was... They finally kind of took the line of, do you know what, we're going to give Pollard an awful lot more of the carries and actually do that in this game. Uh, Maybe it's because Jerry Jones wants to save him for the next round. But um, I saw a stat doing the rounds. So Zeke's last 40 carries have gone for 74 yards. That is... That is the tail end of a running back's career, if ever I've seen one. um, Given particularly the production we're seeing out of Pollard behind this line and everything, but um, yeah, look, Tampa Bay dominance. Sorry, Tampa Bay collapse. Dallas dominance. Tom Brady saying goodbye in a way that sounds like he's he's almost certain. I don't think he's back on Tampa Bay next year. Maybe he's on another team, or maybe this is the end. But I think this is definitely the end of him in you know Pirate Country.
0: Yeah, I was watching this game, especially in the first half. My mind kind of went back to February the 5th, 2017, and I could just imagine Dan Quinn standing on the Atlanta Falcons sideline watching Tom Brady lift the Lombardi going and thinking, I will have my revenge. I will end this (laughs) man. I will put him into retirement. Because, I mean, this, uh, you know, it's not fully satisfying, but as revenges go, this was pretty sweet to to put an end to – one of the greatest quarterbacks or perhaps the greatest quarterback of all time and possibly end his career. I, I'm not entirely, I mean, I think I agree that his year at the time of the books is done, but I get the sense he's not going to, they're going to have to carry him off the field base. He's going to leave with, with the, with a Super Bowl and one final celebration, or he's going to have a Peyton level collapse and someone's going to have to put a hand on the shoulder and say, Tom, it's over. Um, go go, reconcile with your wife. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of the Bucs, yeah, This, as I said last week, this team feels about two years past its peak. They've been in decline since they won the Super Bowl. This is very much, it feels like the end of this team. They're going to disassemble it. The various pieces are going to go in different directions. It just, They just weren't good at any point this year. I mean, this season was a weird, like, w- waiting for the Bucs to finally get good. And then you get to the wild card round and they're knocked out and the season is over and it's like, oh, I guess they were never going to get good. I guess this is just what the Bucks were. Um, and you can blame a certain extent on, on the team being a bit stale in terms of what the personnel and mistakes on the you know, the receivers were have had a genuinely awful season all round and, and Tom wasn't at the level he needed to be. But also in this game there was coaching failures on both sides of the ball. I mean the the O C getting the focus in terms of being fired, but the defence was equally bad here and this defense is pretty stacked and was at one point one of the best defenses in the league would look nothing like it this season, at any point, and looked completely out of their depth here. Ultimately, this was just a case of the Cowboys just being a much better team, and they whooped them. They they just gave they just took no 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 mercy. They just went in there and they did the business. Very unlike the Cowboys to go into a playoff game, uh, and just perform, just turn up and do what was expected of them and to get the win that was expected of them. Uh, uh, Dak, obviously, with a big playoff performance after a season where he's been criticized a lot, that's got to feel very good for him going forward. Big night for Dalton Schultz. He seemed to look like Travis Kelsey at times out there, and you know you can blame the Bucks' defense for making him look like Travis Kelsey. But yeah, we maybe don't know how good this Dallas team is because this isn't a fair representation. This wasn't a playoff-caliber game because they weren't facing a playoff caliber team when they have looked a bit dicey at the back end of the season. And San Francisco is going to be a massive test because this 49ers team, as we talked about is, is really, really good. But this looks like one of the best Dallas teams I've seen uh, in a long time. And if they can get it together at their peak, they could definitely be a contender to go deep. Uh, but they, they, as with Ali, any Dallas team, they're never, there's always that mistake in them. There's always that, that level that they can fall to below their best where they make tons of mistakes. So yeah, it's a win. It's it's a playoff win. It's a it's going to be a confidence boosting playoff win. But we don't know any much more about the Cowboys than we knew at the start. And as for the books, I mean, it's the end of an era and possibly the end of Tom Brady's career.
1: Yeah, there's not really much more to add. Like like Tampa Bay, obviously, we're playing at the string. And I think you know the biggest thing I've kind of taken away from this season that like is. Like a distracted Tom Brady, a not one hundred percent Tom Brady. This is the guy who took some of the preseason off. Something you would never have expected Tom Brady to ever do. Just is it like it just fails because he's not Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, these new wave of quarterbacks who you know are not just winning with their minds, uh, but are also winning with their legs, with their dynamicism. You know, Tom Brady is the last of the of the pocket passers, really. Uh, besides Kirk Cousins, maybe depending on your perspective. And when it's not perfect, it just is not good it doesn't work and you know you just saw a team that got casual and just has slowly deteriorated uh, because of that and you know I think in particular when you think about the fact they fired Bruce Arians basically on Tom Brady's request and you put in a head coach who didn't seem to have much control and obviously an OC that they've just fired you know the whole thing just felt like more of a you know a pet project um rather than a passion project for everyone involved and so it comes to an ignominious end and you know thing you know what was what we put on the page the entire season is what we got in the playoffs and dallas a superior team who have had yips this season but have generally been really good you know they beat the eagles only a few weeks ago for example um were able to take them to the cleaners and it was not even close like parsons is amazing dak had a great game it was just a comprehensive win Obviously, it's the Cowboys, so any given week, they, you know, outside of the Chargers, they're probably one of the teams most capable of absolutely imploding on themselves, but, you know, easy win here, you know... uh mccarthy gets to get the swag he got to get the uh, dallas uh necklace and was showing off in the in the locker room so good for him but you know <laughs> this i like, win this easy is almost bad for him because it just increases the pressure that if they lose next week to the 49ers derrick jones can be like well the first round didn't even count he needs to win real games going forward uh so don't be surprised even if the cowboys after this kind of season next if they lose next week that the uh, things get upended anyway but uh that's a story for a different time
2: yeah so we'll, uh i suppose when well, you say for a different time how about now let's go and have a look at the games for next week so we've got four games upcoming it's down to the nearly the crème de l'eau crème uh i don't know many, many people say this is their favorite weekend because you get four high quality games whereas you're down to two and then one from this point onwards uh i do think we've got a good good mixture of games here though it's a it's a nice mix Um, We'll kick off on the Saturday night and we have Jacksonville traveling over to Arrowhead to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. We have gone for Kansas City across the board in this one. This is an exciting upstart Jacksonville team whose defense kind of came to play. We saw that their offense definitely has the capability um, in the second half last week. And they also clearly have the ability. Now, obviously, look, the chargers are going to charge and so on. But, you know, it it takes skill to be able to shut down an offense like that, it takes skill to be able to come back and to be able to start scoring like that. So I, as much as we've gone for them across the board, I don't count the Jags out of this, uh, in the slightest, particularly if they get Eddie and going, cause there has been some weaknesses in Kansas city's defense against the run and so on. So like, you know, they're, they're, there are ways to beat KC we've seen it they lost a couple of games this year and they can get complacent and sometimes we have seen it before sometimes coming off a bye week they come out cold in the playoffs Uh, so we'll see how that goes cold for the first quarter and then they come back from
1: 5,000 points down well this is the thing so
2: I think I think this is a matchup of two teams who both massively prepare to play from behind so this will be a first half of football where both teams are trying to let the other team score first so we're all both teams are going to try and spot the other side 10 points to give themselves motivation uh, which will be a little bit messy but no like this is this is a talented Kansas City Chiefs team with a lot of weapons and I think we saw particularly at the tail end of the season that they have you know the likes of Tony coming back into the lineup and a few other pieces that they they've got a lot of diversity in the weapons and I think Andy Reid has a lot of interesting stuff cooked up that he's been saving for this uh, there's obviously questions of what they're going to do on the run game and so on but um, and and it's also a Kansas City defence that has been improving significantly throughout the year. Uh, I think they finished second in sacks total. Uh, The the young and somewhat inexperienced at the cornerback position, but, you know, they have got some good performances there from some of the players. So, like, you know, there's the strengths and weaknesses to it. It's interesting. It's going to see whether Jacksonville can attack that um, effectively. I think, obviously, the Chiefs will win this. I think they're going to harry him a little bit more than the Chargers did. And I think the whole kind of having been here before, the composure that the Chiefs will be able to have, like you won't have, you know, Joey Bosa style getting pissed off and screaming at refs unless it gets too egregious or Carl Checkers is refereeing it, which thankfully I don't believe he is. So we're, we're probably safe enough on that. But I do not discount Jacksonville by this. I th- I would guess a win margin of about
1: either eight or ten points in this one, but uh, but yeah, what do you think? Like, like there's two interpretations of the form book, right? Like, obviously, like the 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 Chiefs have come in winning a lot of games, but against bad teams, like their last team that they played, it was a serious competition with Cincinnati and they lost that game. And then they beat Denver twice. They beat the Raiders. They beat the Seahawks in one of their worst weeks. They barely beat Houston in overtime. So you're kind of going, oh, maybe the Chiefs, they've been a bit sloppy, a bit like the Bills, not quite that level. Um, There, there were more turnover, like three against Denver, but overall nothing at, at, at Josh Allen levels of concern. And so you're kind of going, maybe they're, they've been a little bit sloppy. They're not quite where they should be. They'll need time to heat up. Or there's another interpretation where for the last month they've kind of been kicking back playing against tomato cans and that has given Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes basically an entire month and a half to come up with the craziest bullshit offence stuff that's ready to absolutely blast someone right in the ass in the middle of the playoffs so you know that, both those things to me are equally likely to be perfectly frank right <laughs> now um, I could like you know we, we saw in that final game of Vegas a few you know little shadows of potential bullshit uh, like Chiefs stuff happening and they, mm. they, they, they and you know you'd have to be concerned that that could happen happen and obviously the, you know, the emotion Oceans going through Jacksonville, and they're such a young team. That that defense has, has improved, but it's not quite a, an elite unit yet uh, this season. You know that they, they are going up against one of the most difficult offenses in the league to play. Patrick Mahomes, you know, over five thousand five hundred, I all purpose yards. You know, forty one touchdowns. Like the Patrick Mahomes with this diverse attack, he is now the center of the attack. This is not attack about the playmakers anymore. This isn't like one of the other teams, like, uh, you know, where Stefan Diggs or Justin Jefferson. This is the Patrick Mahomes offense and that means you have to cover everyone and that means you have to cover Jarek McKinnon who's got a shit ton of touchdowns in the last month of the season that means you have to cover Kadarius Toney who showed flashes of potential as well as Juju Schuster as well as Nicole Horr-Hartman. none of these guys are Tyreek Hill but together and with a guy like Patrick Mahomes, any of them could become Tyree Kill on every given play. And that's actually, it seems, it seems for most defensive corners, turned out to be way more difficult to defend. Now, of course, if you can cover Travis Kelsey in the red zone, at least that's a start. But lots of teams have failed at that as well, despite the fact that they know he's going to go to Travis Kelsey in the red zone. So, like, I just... Patrick Mahomes is just, you know, like, I know there's a famous quote with w- saying this, like, he's just the grim reaper in the playoffs. And there have been, you know, the occasional weaknesses. Like, we got the AFC Championship last year, but... Patrick Mahomes is the new Tom Brady. He makes it to the ASC Championship round at the very least. And a Jacksonville team, which fair play to them, they came back, they showed heart. Now that they're into the real meat grinder against the true creme de la creme, Patrick Mahomes and that team is going to show up and they're going to score a bunch of points. If Jacksonville can keep up, fair play to them. Obviously, Chiefs defence isn't perfect, but it's going to be a hell of a challenge for them to do that. That's a huge step up, in my opinion. Yeah, they have the the, the
2: narrative lines that are running are... uh obviously uh Trevor Lawrence has never lost on Saturday versus uh Pat Mahomes has never lost a divisional round
0: game um yeah no I mean of the eight teams left in in the in the whole competition Jacksonville I mean as much as I you know have loved watching them and loved to watch the run and this team obviously is you know light years ahead of it, where it was last year I do think they're the the weakest that they are the eighth of those eight teams um and I and I think the Casey are probably number one, if not maybe number two. So it's it it. I think there's a there's a big talent differential here. There's a big experience differential. Obviously Casey have been here multiple times, and this Jacksonville team is brand new in terms of playoff experience. They showed a lot of nerves in the in the Chargers game. They got away with it because the Chargers charged, but you know they can't. This is a bigger stage. If they're going to be more nervous. They're going to have a slower start. The game could be completely out of reach by the time they turn up. Um, to play, um, there's going to be some interesting things to watch. I, I I've loved watching uh, Trayvon Walker and um, Josh Allen do their pincer attack movement thing from the edge. going to be interesting to see Mahomes and his movement against against that kind of aggression and how willing Doug Peterson is to, is to bring aggression. Even as we know, it doesn't always work against Mahomes because he's Superman. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if this if this Jacksonville offense can keep pace. I mean, it's it's much better than it was and it's getting better as the season goes on, but it's still not, it's still a a kind of a field goal type offense. It's an offense that'll score 20, 23 points in a game and very rarely obviously will score 31 when they need to, but more frequently they're at the the lower twenties. Whereas Casey are just not that kind of, they're a team that scores 30 points, you know, uh, you know, without breaking a sweat. So the worry for me is I don't think the defense is going to be able to stop Mahomes doing his thing, which means that the offense is going to have to score a lot of points, which this offense isn't really all that good at doing. So I find it hard to see how Jacksonville are going to be able to keep pace. I just think that they're just not as good as as the Chiefs and ultimately that will be the difference. Um they're going to have to find a way to build upon defensive weaknesses to score more points, and they're going to have to find a way to stifle this Mahomes-led offense. And I just I can, I can believe or imagine that if they'll find a way to do one of those two things, it's very hard that they'll be able to do both of them, and I think they're going to have to do both of them if they want to win this game
2: yeah yeah. Uh, next up we look at uh Jesus, a, me- a meeting of two I-, I-, I think we should probably mention as well fair dues to them for all the shite over the years that we've given the NFC East the playoffs on the NFC side is currently San Francisco versus the NFC East so like well done guys you're all doing well Giants at Philly uh, I've gone for the Giants and you boys have gone for Philadelphia i kind of a contrarian pick on my part uh but also just I think I think they I think they done well last week and they deserve a little bit of hype and the fact that there's a slight question over whether Jalen Hurts will be playing hearse or you know there's, there's still an outside chance that he won't we were told today i believe that he should they're expecting him to be a full participant of practice which is a positive sign for him but if he's not there we've seen that they do look a little bit different uh without him in there um the question marks of this are obviously this philadelphia defense is a far different beast than you know as we said the tomato can that is the minnesota vikings defense so what will dimes and saquon look like taking it on um they have lost a couple of pieces on the defensive line so maybe that helps them a little bit on it but um yeah like that's that's a big question the new york giants defensive backs have gotten a little bit healthier now since some of the previous meetings so will they be able to slow down brown and smith because this is a very potent philadelphia air attack um but this is the thing. It comes down to me to a small extent to do with just the hurts injury. Daddy Dimes is playing better football now and definitely last week uh, much better football than he did in their previous two meetings. Uh, like, I think there's a there's a puncher's chance here for the Giants. And as we say, with these divisional matchups, they know each other well. Uh, Giants are kind of a form team coming into it. And Philadelphia, while excellent, cooled down massively in the last couple of weeks of the season and now are coming in. They've had a week off, but whether that means that they'll be cold or not. Because... Uh, it feels very Philadelphia to roar out of the gates, then just kind of slowly cruise to the end and then accidentally leave it in park whenever they get to the playoffs.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you've got to be worried about where Philadelphia ended the season versus where they started it. And obviously, these are two teams are going to know each other very well. And We've already talked about the Giants and their coaching and they, they'll come with a game plan and they will they will maximize what they can do against that. But I mean, ultimately, the Giants, when they've been winning games and teams that they've beaten this year, they, they've been able to beat. Bad teams, obviously, and they've been able to beat mediocre teams, but they they, they haven't really, you know. It, there's there's a there's a limit to what this team can do because of their talent, and you wonder if they can keep pace with with Philadelphia. Obviously, Hertz is going to be be a big part of it. That they haven't looked as good. With with uh, you know with with uh, Gardner or you know other quarterbacks under under center so the offense is obviously built to maximize her you know maximize what they can do with Hertz's talented level, and when they don't have that, it doesn't quite work quite as well. So I think maybe the drop off can be a little bit kind of uh, attributed to the fact that Hertz hasn't been hasn't been playing, and bring him back, things could be could be good. the 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 biggest problem is, I mean, you can scheme it all you want, but this. This Philly defense is not going to give what the Vikings v- defense did. And it's gonna it's difficult for me to see Danny Dimes. I mean, Danny Dimes is going to have to have, after having the best game of his career, going to have an even better going to have to have an even better game the very next week in order to do that. And you it is possible. We've seen playoff runs, we've seen the Giants make playoff runs where that's happened, where they've just their team has just clicked at the right time and they've gone and on, on win and win and win. But I it's I just don't trust this Giants team to be that good back to back as often yet. I mean, I would love, it'd be very interesting to see it, but I just, I see they're going to have to consistently reach a high standard to beat Philadelphia, whereas Philadelphia can just play at their talent level and do that. I, 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 I mean, I, I on the defensive side against the Philly offense, obviously, I think that there's there's a good competition there. The Giants' defense is quite good, but there's some you know really good explosive pieces uh, in terms of Brown and Smith on the offensive side. So that's going to be a good battle. It's interesting to see, but I think the important battle is the other one: is whether or not this Giants offense can can make hay against this really tough Philadelphia defense. And for me, it's like I'd like to see it, but I, I just don't know if I can believe in it yet. And I think that might ultimately be the difference: that they're just not going to score enough points to 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 be able to hold their own against
1: the Eagles offense. Yeah, I broadly agree with, with Sean there. Like I think Philly's defense for me is the X factor here. They've been really effective for the vast majority of the season and they're a huge step up over the awful Minnesota defense. So like I just think it'll be a much tougher game for Daniel Dimes. I think he'll revert more to the kind of stat lines we've seen this year like around 200 yards, like under 50 yards carrying and against the Philly offense, yes. With Jalen Hurts potentially hurt, like you have to be concerned about that. But I still imagine they can do enough. They have a pretty effective run game with Miles Sanders. And of course, A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith have... Uh, at different times this season, been I mean, absolutely unstoppable. I think you can't, like, you know, you saw Minnesota be able to take advantage of the Giants' defence, particularly with the tight end position, and Dallas Goddard's also a really good tight end. So I think unless Jalen Hurts is genuinely just completely fubard and is being played when he has no right to be, or of course, you know, worst case scenario, end up having to play Gardner-Minshew, then it's hard to see a situation where this Philly team can't take care of this Giants' team. I think, you know, great story. They've maximised their talent, and Brian Dayball has obviously set the table for what could be a really impressive turnaround and, and rebuilding job going forward. Although there's big questions over all of the pieces there. Saquon and Dolly Downs are both free agents this offseason. What I think with Philly. You know the tal they're stacked at nearly every single position, um. So it's hard to see a complete team like that being able to uh, losing to a giant team, which is you know playing out out of its skin, but it's still so flawed in so many ways. So unless you know Timo and Dexter Lawrence absolutely hammer Jalen Hurts and that new kind of the Dory Jackson is kind of makes that whole defensive backfield come together, and Saquon Barkley goes well off, and Daddy Dimes, as he said, goes as badly as, as well as he did last week. You know that's a lot of ifs, and I just feel. Like, Philly have shown enough quality to get it done here. Further down against San Francisco or potentially Dallas, the bigger questions, but I guess the Giants team, I think they have enough. Yeah, look
2: if we're going to continue the, the the narrative of like maybe this guy is the Eli Manning then he has to kind of make it all the way up and like and knock off Pat Mahomes given you said that he's the new Tom Brady so that's how we set our set our new table for the for the AFC, NFC there's only one new Tom Brady in the playoffs and his name is Brock Purdy <laughs> it's true <laughs> he is very much more in line with the general story and we'll come to him in a minute but first up Cincinnati at Buffalo is our opening game on Sunday um, Lee and Sean have gone for Cincinnati and Ronan's gone for Buffalo I was hemming and hawing this is a a very, very close one to try and call. Um, as we said, Buffalo have been looking a little bit lacklustre in the last couple of weeks. Something's not quite clicking like it was early on the year. This is the Cincinnati team is not looking great, but my concern is mostly to do with the O-line and the fact that they're almost certainly going to be missing two, if not three pieces off there, which I think is going to be tough against a very, you know, quite a powerful Buffalo defensive line. Um, now, Burrow is an excellent quarterback and you know as much as we kind of joke that we don't know head nor tail of Zach Taylor who their head coach is that like you know they will they've they've shown they're able to game plan for situations like this so hopefully they'll have a plan if they are missing that like they they, they've been running a completely separate gap scheme on the offensive line for a big chunk of the season to try and allow for weaknesses of the O-line and missing pieces so I'd say they can probably try and sort something out the question on the other side obviously is that Allen is here he's been messy he's been having turnovers uh and the thing is they come in bunches as well when he has one he tends to have two or three so can cincinnati capitalize on those type of opportunities i think they possibly can can digs and chase make big plays enough to try and build a to, to, to try and overcome that absolutely 100 i can see that and it's why i was so torn as to whether or not to take cincinnati or buffalo the problem is at the end of it the heart of my heart is i kind of go do you know what I'd like to see Cincinnati there. I'd like to see, you know, Burrow get back there. I'd like to see the kind of trust the, 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 the that it kind of works. I just find them a bit more exciting at the moment, and I don't know why that is. Uh, something something just feels a little bit off with this Buffalo offense at the moment, and the defensively as well, but particularly with the offense, there's something that feels markedly different than what it was even five, six weeks ago. And I can't put my finger on it. And that's why I'm going Cincinnati.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a perfectly fair call. Like both these teams have maybe not where you thought they'd be, uh, in recent weeks. And obviously, you know, Cincinnati, their offensive line is banged up. Can they, you know, obviously they don't have Von Miller, that, that, end, that dream ended a few months ago. Um, but they still have a very good defensive line. So, like for me, that's why I'm edging Buffalo. Really, that Cincinnati offensive line problem. I think that just puts a, a huge limit on what Cincinnati can do. I think the book is out in terms of stopping um, the deep kind of Jamar Chase offense, which kind of mitigated to some extent uh, the fact that Joe Burrow gets sacked so much because they had so much explosive plays. I think Cincinnati have had to be much more systematic this year, which has been overall a great success and a great evolution for the offense. But with the offensive line banged up. I don't know how possible it is to sustainably just make those 5-10 yard type uh, gains and and build your offense and that because you're going to get sacked and it's just going to happen. So Burrow's going to have to play really, really well, can show his best. Um, to get this offense moving and to score the number of points they'll probably need to get there because like Buffalo are giving the ball away and obviously that will probably give Burrow chances if they continue to do that but you know they have scored they have continued to score points despite that as well they are still a very explosive offense they run, they've run, they been running the ball actually pretty solid in recent weeks they've got a fair few touchdowns for Singletary and Cook um, and Allen's obviously been a really huge threat running the ball that's probably been the best aspect of him really in the last month or so he's just been a really huge dynamic running threat But yes, if he keeps throwing the ball away, if he keeps fumbling the ball, um, uh, giving the ball to the other team, then yes, that gives Cincinnati um, the the edge that they might need to get this win. But I kind of feel like, you know, like when the chips are down, you know, we're going to see if this Buffalo team is who we thought they are. Like maybe the missing factor, as I kind of alluded to earlier, is Brian Dayball isn't here and, you know, Ken Dorsey isn't the same offensive mind and Josh Allen has started slipping into his old habits. Or maybe it's just the case that, you know, when they've gone up, when they've had so many casual games where they were obviously massively favored that they've just not really had to show up properly. Um, and in this game, when the chips are down, that they'll show up and be there, be at their best. But, you know, I think uh, it's kind of sad because like, like, I think this game should be better and more exciting than it is. And I think it definitely still has that potential. But given the deficiencies we've seen about the team, there's also, you know, I wouldn't expect a game between these two teams to be a, a case of where there's a high chance it's about a team losing it rather than a team winning it. It might be great. And it's a little bit sad that that might be the case. Uh, But I think overall, Buffalo's defence, if they can play to a high level and keep Burrow under pressure and make his life difficult, then they can grind this out. But yeah, pretty much a 50-50 game, but maybe not in the most exciting way it might have been when we were predicting this uh, earlier this season.
0: Yeah, I I think it's going to be a very close game and I think it's going to come down to the, the last... The last drive in the fourth quarter, we obviously got two great quarterbacks in terms of finishing drives right at the end of games. I mean, Burrow is, 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 you know, breaking out his Joe Montana stuff this season. And Allen is, I mean, he's just been kind of been kept in in cotton wool until the fourth quarter in games because of his his injuries throughout this season. So I think it's going to be one of those games that comes down to whoever has the ball last. And those kind of things are are quite obviously unpredictable. We can't, we can't predict this far ahead how things are going to go. Um, I think, I think it could go either way. I mean, certainly Buffalo, you know, I think they have a talent advantage, but I think they've been they haven't obviously been playing all that well for that for that long. Whereas I think the Bengals, I mean you know they didn't look great this week, but they have generally speaking been playing quite well for most of the se- like they, they've been consistently good for most of the season. Whereas the Bills, I think, have been up and down, which is why I think I'm slightly favouring the Bengals in the sense that I, I I can trust the Bengals to turn up to a certain level every single week and and perform to that level. And and albeit that the offensive line is going to, it well, that a lot a of, lot, of, lot of that was based around the offensive line the rebuilt offensive line, and maybe that isn't quite there anymore, and maybe the, the deep plays aren't quite working quite as well. But they're, they're making it work. This is a team that problem solves, and they've got one of the best quarterbacks out there in terms of just you know making the right decision at the right time. Joe Burrow always seems to do the right thing, even if he's got 100 defenders coming down on him. He always seems to be the guy that can make these kind of decisions. So I'm not necessarily worried about the Bengals not finding a way to, to, to overcome this admittedly quite uh, elite Buffalo defense. I am a little bit worried about the the Bills offensive production. I'm worried about Josh Allen making mistakes. I'm worried about this team getting inside their own head. We've seen what I think is somewhat of a psychological weakness. They, They have a tendency to complacency and they have a tendency to fear. They certainly played scared in the second and third quarters against Miami and you can't really do that against Cincinnati which is why I I, kind of think on the balance of probabilities it's more likely to end up being the Bengals but I can as I said I can see this going either way and I think either team would be a worthy team to have in the AFC Championship um, this season.
2: It's interesting just to go back to if we look at our preview for the week seventeen game that didn't happen. Uh, I'm I'm still the same. I had Cincinnati picked in that. Uh, interesting. Ronan and Sean, you've swapped your picks from there. Uh, so obviously that one was meant to be played at Cincinnati rather than at Buffalo. But uh, yeah, you were you were backing Buffalo for that one, Sean, and uh, and Ronan was backing Cincy. Obviously, I think yeah, we can see there's a couple of small changes, but like materially, not a huge amount has changed for for, for both teams apart from O line, and I think for the Bengals and then concerns about that offense slipping in the last well, week yeah, or two. We've
0: seen two game, two Bills games since then where they haven't really played all that fantastically. The, the Pats were basically held. The Pats who were not, were not a great team offensively, basically played them. to to neutral apart from special teams like yeah yeah and the dolphins (laughs) who were playing a third string quarterback you know only lost by three points so i think we do have a little bit more data on the bills since then which is why i'm more intending to go to the bengals uh, side of it i think i think it is the reasoning why i'm why i am changing from
2: no 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 no, no. it it makes sense like i said like i'm 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 with cincy still but i'm i'm 50 50 on this and i can see i can see a case for both and finally we have uh dallas at san francisco uh we've gone for san francisco across the board in this one like We'll, we'll, we'll just come out and say, particularly the second half of that game against the Seahawks, we were able to see dominant, dominant, dominant defense uh, able to kind of do what they wanted at will there. The limitation in question mark is obviously going to be Brock Purdy. As we said, he's had stretches where he's looked great. He's got incredible statistics on his first five or six starts or whatever. Um, but also, by the way, calm down 49ers internet fans and putting, putting Brock Purdy in the greatest quarterbacks in the league category at the moment online, which is... Uh, yeah, uh, maybe maybe have them play a few more games before you do that. But this is, um, it's an interesting one because this is a Dallas defense that has gone, have gone, have gone full circle again. So, like, we had it being incredibly dominant and then it kind of fell off a little bit and now it kind of came back to the fore. Now, be that maybe the opposition last week or whatever, but, like, they have some real difference makers on the defensive side of the ball, obviously Parsons, but other people as well. And... Maybe that will be the that that'll be the big difference here. Like you know, this is. Uh mr irrelevant last pick in the draft quarterback who as I said when we look at the tape from the last games as good as their offense has been was making mistakes was not liking pressure was backing away like he obviously had a very stern talking to during the halftime of last week's game because before the before the halftime anytime he got pressure he was running backwards and away to his left and was turning his back on the field and couldn't get turned around to get the ball up and he ducked out of a couple of pockets early rather than climbing them. And in the second half, when he backed off, he backed off. And even if he was going to take a hit, he backed off facing downfield. So they obviously just coached him to try and stop making the mistake he was doing, but... A bit of a bit of pressure up the middle, and this Dallas team can provide that, could cause some issues for Purdy. So I think like that's the one little route that maybe Dallas have in this. Also, look, they've got a good run game, and they've got a number of good receivers. So if they can work up a decent offensive game plan to keep the defense guessing, and the big one here is to try and keep, um, try and keep Zeke. Are um, trying to keep any clean because I think that's going to be uh that's going to be a bit of a, a concern for the or sorry trying to keep Dak clean. Because I don't think he wants to be taking
0: hits and I think I think lean on Pollard here and maybe not Zeke. Uh this of the four games is actually the the game I'm most looking forward to strangely. Largely because it's Basically, the two best teams of all the matchups. I think it's the best matchup in terms of talent and in terms of form. These two teams are very, very good place at the moment, and I'm really excited to see how it goes. And I'm really interested in seeing how this dynamic 49ers offense and all the various pieces that they have, Depot and, and CMC and such like. Fares up against this really elite uh, Dallas off uh, defense. I think it's going to be a really good battle there to see the various schemes and counter schemes and plans and counter plans that they're they're going to have to come up against each other to try and you know minimize the 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 dangers to Brock Purdy, but also find a way to get their pieces going. And, and in the Dallas side trying to react and and to plan. I think it's going to be very interesting to see from a schematic point of view how that goes on. Um, I mean ultimately I'm leaning towards San Francisco because I think that their offense can kind of keep pace with this Dallas defense I think they do have those pieces in CMC and Debo that will allow them to score points and get down the field that that even though this Dallas off defense is quite good I think that the, the, uh, the 49er offense will do enough on that side it's the other side I'd be worried about for the Cowboys obviously their their offense at its peak looks really good and Prescott had a really good game last week but I mean there is has been some inconsistency this season that the Cowboys haven't been you know, week in, week out, the most fantastic offense in the world, whereas the 49ers bring a really good defense into this game. And I do think that is the difference. There's maybe the Niners have quality on both sides of the ball that the, that the Cowboys don't quite have on the offensive side. I think that... I think. You know, against a league average team, this, this Cowboys offense looks really good. But when you're into the divisional round, it's the elite of the elite. I, I think this Cowboys offense maybe comes up just a little bit uh, short, which is why I'm, I'm edging towards the 49ers. Because I, I, I just have a feeling the Niners are going to go, if not. They'll get to the Super Bowl. They may not win it, but I, I think I have a feeling they're going to get there because they just—it's all the pieces have clicked into place, and they have great coaching. And that's the other thing: the, the Niners have great coaches. Whereas, uh, you know, at some point, you know, the the McCarthy problem is going to manifest itself for the Cowboys. You feel the Cowboys are notorious for for blowing playoff games as well. So maybe this, there'll be a, a crucial mistake that Cowboys fans will be thinking about for years to come.
1: Yeah, but this won their first playoff away game in 30 years, so. Cowboys have got to win the Super Bowl right like it's, it's got to happen like oh sorry I seem to be temporarily uh, taken over by Jerry Jones anyway uh, like yeah like look I think Dallas have a very much a legitimate chance here Dallas have you know had some really big performances like I said they beat the Eagles a few year, weeks ago albeit with Gardner Minshew they've had some big you know they blew out the Vikings for what that's worth like they have had games where they've seemed like a legitimate like Super Bowl contender but they've also had like iffy moments because they're the fucking Cowboys Um, but they do have all of this talent they're a splash team Dak Prescott when playing well can be a top five type quarterback with Tony Pollard they have a really good run game but C. D. Lamb they have legitimate wide receiver one in terms of his development this year Um, and they have all of those weapons but you know they have that many weapons, but San Francisco will have Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle and CMC. And yes, they have Brock Purdy instead of Dak Prescott. But you know, both of these guys were, were late. You know, late. Well, Purdy a little bit later, but Dak was also a later round pick. So you know, there's reasons why presumably they were picked that late in terms of their uh, in terms of their profile. But like Purdy, yes, like he has had some worrying displays, and I do think. In the in the regular season, his performances were on a down slope. But I think that game against Seattle, um, where he was willing to step into the pocket, was actually a pretty good sign for him. I think it was a sign that okay, Kyle Shanahan was been knocking him over the head all week, telling him to stop trying to escape out the back and get sacked basically, and he did a good job of it. Now I think. The defensive line for Dallas is a much different consideration um, than them from Seattle when you have Micah Parsons hovering around when you have DeMarcus Lawrence but they are a little bit weak in the interior so I do think stepping up will probably still be the smart move uh, for Brock Purdy but he will probably need to speed up his clock a little bit and he probably cannot afford to have the same kind of slow start he had as against Seattle so you know but I think that Dallas defense is vulnerable on the back end they've had so many injuries to their defensive backs and even Trayvon Diggs who's still uh, still there is obviously a huge gambler of a defensive Back. so there are big plays available and so you expect that San Francisco will be able to put up a pretty big amount of points so then it will come down to Candace Dallas offense which seemed to come alive last week avoid going into toilet again like they have done at random points throughout this season um so I think this could be a pretty high scoring game despite the quality of these defenses I think both offenses are both capable of being explosive and are both capable of making big plays so you know I mean I'm actually I like Sean pretty excited about this like I'm, I'm I know I we're not allowed to be excited about the NFCs because it'll just encourage the NFL to put them in prime time forever. <laughs> but um, you know, this is a really exciting game between two of the you know, two of the best teams in the NFL this season. And look, I think I'm I'm edging San Francisco like the rest of you are, but um, I think Dallas are very much in the shot. They have the talent, they have the upside. It's just a matter of if they can perform. And yes, the McCarthy thing is definitely a disadvantage. But you know, I think at this point, uh, you know, he'll just be out there just trying basically Um so you know that kind of crazy out of his mind situation is probably on average a bad thing but it also could lead to you know some crazy genius kind of stuff happening just by by accident almost
2: yeah well that's the thing like there's a lot of talk going into the game last week that McCarthy had to win the playoff game or else they were going to get rid of him now they won the playoff game I'm not sure if they still wouldn't get rid of him if the opportunity came up but if he was to go into this game and win this one i think it would be almost impossible for them to get rid of him if he takes them all the way to a championship game am i right
0: yeah i'd agree with that if they can beat the 49ers then he's probably his job is safe um and even if they lose now like i think if they get embarrassed obviously he's probably going to be canned but i mean if it's a tight game and they lose by like a field goal or an overtime or something then yeah yeah. he could probably you know make Justification of why he deserves to stick around, but uh, it's very hard to sack a coach who's, you know, successful, even if he's known to be terrible.
2: Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, although Jerry
1: does have form in that, if I remember correctly. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, like, yeah, like Jerry Jones could do anything. But I think if if he wins this game, McCarthy, and gets fired after losing the, the championship game to like the the Eagles or or the Giants. Um, then we will probably agree that was a bit unfair. Yeah. Whereas if they fire him <laughs> after losing to San Francisco, we go it's a it's a like the tide, like you know maybe a little bit unfair but justified. Hmm. Yeah, no, we'll see, we'll see. Especially you know when apparently you have like two head coaches waiting on your on your uh, on your staff. Apparently. I don't <laughs> yeah, know how I believe that. But yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. So that'll that'll wrap up our bits
2: of that. So any, any plans for the weekend yourselves, boys?
0: Uh, not much. I think we're. The Cork crew are going to get together and, and watch some both European football and then some American football. There's some interesting stuff happening in the Premier League. Looks like Arsenal might actually win the league, which is terrifying to think about. Mm. Um, but uh, so we'll have that, and then we might have Bills, Bengals on Sunday to just to get together and watch.
2: Fabulous, and then uh, yeah, for myself, kind of got the car in the garage. Hopefully, it'll come back working get a bit of football watches this weekend and just get, get the final bits of preparation done for uh, for your stag Sean uh, you know there's there's hookers to be booked and graves <laughs> to be dug
0: things you shouldn't say at a public podcast yes
2: which um, yeah, I suppose that'll do us for this week so uh, it's bye from myself bye from Ronan bye bye from Sean bye it's been all four quarters thanks for listening I'll chat to you next week